happy holidays, and I hope you have a great new year, everybody here in the swamp and beyond. Today I'm going to be compiling 25 of my favorite scary deep wood stories that I shared in the year of 2022. This video is going to be extra long, well over two hours, so be sure to grab your popcorn, get some snacks, and get ready for some non-stop scary stories. If you are looking for non-stop scary stories, you can also find a live radio streaming on the Swamp Dweller channel right now, 24-7, streaming your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories. If you have a story of your own you'd like to share, you can send it in at swampdweller.net. I'd love to share it. Be sure to hit that like button, subscribe if you're new, and get ready for some creepy Deep Woods Horror Stories. This story takes place one year ago when I lived in the backwoods of Georgia. I now live in Wyoming. It's much better here. My name is Patrick. I'm 17 now, but this happened when I was 16 years old. And this is hard for me to write because it still scares the hell out of me to this day. My friends Mark, CJ, and Chelsea, and I were going to spend the night together because my brother was at his friend's house, and my mom and dad were going to be out of town for the next week. I must note I was 16, Mark was 15, and Chelsea was the same age as me. CJ was 17, and he had his license. Because I lived in the backwoods, CJ drove Mark and Chelsea to my house. The first three hours were just fine and regular. We watched movies, played some PS4 games, and browsed Netflix until midnight. At this point, we were browsing the internet looking for creepy paranormal stories and videos. Mark is a believer, and so am I and Chelsea. But CJ, he's a skeptic, but we still liked him because he was cool. He is a more badass punk rock version of Tom Cruise. And I say Tom Cruise because he was about 5'4", Mark is 5'6", Chelsea is 4'10", and I am 6'4". I am the tallest. My dad is an ex-marine. He is a badass. At 70 years old, he is 6'4", and can still take on just about anyone. And I definitely got my height from my dad. Had I not been tall and robust and strong, my friends and I would not be alive today. Here's why. We were sitting, alone, and my dog went nuts out of nowhere. I grabbed my dad's shotgun because my house was on a back road in the woods. The nearest person was five miles away, and my property had a no trespassing sign and private property signs were posted everywhere. It's very clear to see. So I look outside and see nothing. Then, I hear a sound that sends chills down my spine even as I write this. I said, what the heck is that? CJ comes running outside. I hand him my mom's pistol. And just as we get ready to walk back into the house, I see something run into the woods. CJ and I run after it with our guns and flashlights. After about 15 minutes, CJ goes, shh, quiet. Then he points at something. It takes me a minute to see what it is. Then, after my eyes adjust, I see it. I open fire and then CJ starts shooting as well. I stop and tell him to stop soon after. We hear a scream coming from the house. CJ and myself run back to the house faster than I think we've ever had before. It was almost like we were track and field stars at this point. We hear that god-awful sound again. CJ and I run into the back door. We find Mark and Chelsea in the corner of the room. Chelsea was crying and said, What was that? We all had shock on our faces. And when I looked at my dog, Sarah, who is a 10-year-old black lab, she is the best dog ever, I saw her hiding behind my dad's chair, and there were three long and deep claw marks along her side. We spent the rest of the night in the upstairs bedroom with all of the doors locked. When the sun came up, we went outside with my dad's shotgun and searched the backyard. I found two large giant footprints where I saw that thing run into the woods. I told CJ and Mark, but not Chelsea. 
I ended up staying at CJ's place for the next couple of days because I was so freaked out. Then, my mom and dad came home one day. It was about dinner time. When dad and I talked in the living room, I told him exactly what happened. He said I probably saw a Wendigo. Mark just told me he had stage 4 cancer. He only has 6 months to live, so I figured I would share the story. This story is about an encounter my friends and I had at my friend's farm. To this day, we still can't explain what happened that night. My friend's mom dropped us off at their farm with our guns, bags, teepee, cooler, and whatever else we needed to survive as 15-year-olds alone in the woods. The farm is mostly pasture, with about 5 to 8 acres of woods in the back corner. There is a barn, pump house, and old run-down chicken houses in the front corner of the entrance. Now you can't quite just drive straight to the back of the farm from the entrance. You must go between the chicken houses, through the gate to the pasture, and then back to the fence line. When we get in my friend's gator, with all of our gear, and head to set up the camp in the woods, we set up our teepee and put our bags and hunting rifles in it. We brought with us two semi-automatic 22s and two hunting rifles, bolt action. We shot a couple of pigs in traps but didn't do anything special till night. We waited till it was dark outside to go hunt for raccoons, possums, hogs, and whatever else we could find to shoot. We hopped in the gator with our 22s, and for good measure, we sat about 30 to 40 yards back from the deer feeder searching for the slightest noise, hoping to get a raccoon. We were sitting there for about an hour or so when my friend, in this confused tone, whispered to me and our friend to look towards the barn. At first, we thought nothing out of the ordinary was happening, but about 15 seconds later, a bright light came on, then went off about 5 seconds later. We all gave each other the same look. Did you see that too? My friend quickly remembered that there was a light on a power pole by the entrance. We watched from about 200 yards away as the light went on and off. We were pretty sure it was the light on the pole, but that quickly changed when the light moved about 50 yards to the right. At that moment, I cranked up the gator and floored it to the chicken houses with the lights off. We are on the opposite side of the chicken houses, and they are about 100 yards long. Now, even though I floored it over there, I was confident whatever was at the entrance couldn't hear us come as the gator is very quiet and you can barely hear it unless you're within 30 yards of it. They get out, and I take the hunting rifle and steady it on the steering wheel and scope out the area to look for movement. It was dark, but there was enough light from the moon to see the barn. I didn't see anything, but as soon as I stopped looking through the scope, the light came on again. Right next to the pump house, I quickly got out of the gator and we quietly made our way through one of the chicken houses. I switched guns with my friend, because I'm better with iron sights and I can shoot faster that way. He went behind the chicken house with the rifle and watched us through the scope as he could see everything from where he was. So, he acted as an overwatch as me and my friend cleared the barn, then the other chicken house. Then as we made our way to the pump house, we had seen the light next to the pump house before, so we were confident if someone was there, they'd be in the pump house. We got on either side of the door. I motioned for my friend to come over as he had the most powerful gun. They got on the side with the handle, one with a rifle, the other with a flashlight, and I got the other side. We all knew what we were going to do. I was going to swing the door open and they were going to sweep the room and make sure nobody was in there. I nod to make sure they are ready. They nod back. I hold my fingers. Three, two, one. The door was locked. We looked at each other in confusion. 
My one friend stays at the door with the 22 and the flashlight while I and my other friend with the rifle run to the barn to get the spare key. He lifts the rock and turns to me in shock saying the key is gone. We ran back to the pump house and tried to think of what to do. My friend and I get right in front of the door with him and the flashlight and me with the 22. My other friend pounds on the door yelling for whoever yelling for whoever was in there to come out and we wouldn't call the cops if they came out peacefully. Which was a lie of course. In Texas, you don't come onto somebody's farm in the middle of the night and hide on their property and expect to get away free and uninjured. We waited, but there was nothing. We walked back to the chicken house talking, so that whoever was in there knew that we had left. We waited in the chicken houses for about an hour and a half, each of us in different spots, split between the chicken houses. We waited, sights focused on the front door, just waiting for someone to come out. After an hour and a half and nothing, I motioned to my friends that I was going to go up to the pump house and listen. I quietly made my way up to the pump house, making sure I didn't step on the gravel. I crept up to the door and put my ear against it. My knife pressed against the door, ready to stab whoever was in there in case they tried to attack me. I listened for about 10 minutes but heard nothing really. I quietly made my way back to my friends and I told them I was going to get the gator and told them to keep watching the door. On the other side of the chicken house where the gator was was an old feeder. As I got in the gator and started to slowly creep past the feeder, the grass started making noise like something hit the metal feeder with a thud and a scratch like somebody was running around the feeder to chase me. I punched it, spun the tires, and got to my friends as fast as I could. I didn't look back, which was stupid of me, because now I don't know what was there. When I got back to my friends, I told them what happened. We rode back to the feeder. Two of us stayed in the gator, one on the side of the feeder, and the other hopped out as quickly as he could and checked around the feeder. We didn't see anything. We didn't find anything. We rode back to the camp and talked about what happened. It was now about 11 at night and we talked for about an hour and then all went to sleep. At about 2.45 in the morning, my friend and I woke up. We both looked at each other. We were hearing footsteps just feet outside of our tent, somewhere in the tree line. I grabbed my 22, which I kept loaded for security reasons and safety reasons, obviously, after everything we've experienced, and my friend grabbed his knife. The footsteps lasted about five minutes and we were frozen in shock. We were honestly too scared to do anything. We were too scared to talk, too scared to go outside, worrying as soon as we stepped out our heads would get blown off. We didn't go back to sleep for about 30 minutes or so, and it's a miracle we even fell asleep. When we woke up, my friend's mom was already at the farm, and we packed up as quickly as we could and got out of there. To this day, my friend hasn't found that spare key. We can't explain what happened that night, and I don't know if I want to. Thanks for listening to my story. I know it might not be the most terrifying story ever shared on this show, but I thought I'd share it because it was downright strange. To start, I've always been a person who has been interested in spiritual things. Maybe a year ago, I finally thought I'd commit myself to shamanism. I was inexperienced, and I still am, as I haven't touched it ever since this story happened. I remember it being a Thursday night, and I had recently bought myself a book that taught me about ways and information. But this book also detailed small, non-violent rituals in which I could do shamanic things. Ever since buying this, I was pumped as I had finally had something to commit to as I had been struggling with purpose in my life, and this helped ease that. 
Before the ritual, I had ventured out following a snaking river where I knew there would be a perfect spot somewhere in the deep woods to do my first ritual. I had built a fire in preparation. The ceremony was that I would make an offering of incense and various foods and ingredients, which was alright with me. All that was supposed to happen was that I would communicate to a fire spirit and enter a trance-like state. Then came the night of the ritual. I waited roughly until 10.30pm to head out to the intense site in the woods. I slung a massive drum encased in its cover across my shoulder while holding incense and some food in the other, along with materials to light a small fire. Now here is something that I must note. There was no wind whatsoever, and the sounds of the night flow were present. I felt genuinely safe as I hiked through the dark and everything seemed normal. I eventually made it to my ritual site and I prepared everything. I also lit the fire, prepared the food, and lit the incense. I began to drum rhythmically to try and get myself to trance out as specified in the book. But that's when I opened my eyes and realized the wind was suddenly here and incredibly violent, swaying my fire from side to side to the extent that the flames licked the floor at points. I had specifically checked the weather and it was not supposed to be at all like this. It was actually supposed to be a record still night. It had only been about maybe two minutes since I had begun the ritual, and I had no idea where all this wind came from. On top of this, the sounds of nightlife had become utterly silent. I heard no birds and listened to no kangaroos, just nothing. The hair on my arms and legs stood straight up, and I felt incredibly unwelcome. I felt as though I was being watched, and whatever was around me wanted me to meet a very violent end. I quickly packed my stuff, and this proceeds with the feeling of hate that seemed to chase me until I got to the clearing that is my home, upon which it felt like I had a lifted weight off my shoulders. Once I was home, I locked all of the doors and windows, but when I looked out the window I felt watched every single time I looked towards the woods. Finally, I shut my blinds and tried my best to sleep, but I did not sleep that night, not a wink. Unfortunately, that's not where it all ended. According to the ritual, you were supposed to go and collect some of the ashes from the fire the next day, but I didn't do it as I was terrified of going into the woods again. The next night, I could hear a man whistling. The whistling came from the woods, but it was not that of a song, if that makes sense. His whistling would be in tune of a song, but it would be like if something was smashing into your face. It didn't really have a theme or a melody. It was just a singy tune almost. I don't know how to explain it. This went on for about a week, sometimes as close as maybe 10 feet from my window, and sometimes from the edges of the woods or deep inside the woods. After this week of creepy whistling, the whistling was replaced one night by a singular screech-like scream of what sounded like pain coming from within the woods. This scream was woman-like and not like a man, and this confused me. After that night, the whistling returned and continued for about a month until it finally stopped abruptly. Maybe a half a year has passed since the ending of that month, and I no longer hear things from the woods at night, but there's still something there watching me. Whenever I look at the woods at night, I feel that same feeling of the night of the ritual, and I feel utterly unwelcome, and the hair on the back of my neck stands on end.
Anytime I go into the woods during the day, I think I'm being followed. One comfort is that whatever is in those woods doesn't seem to leave them, as I've gone camping in different woods, and it's been completely fine. Since that ritual, I have not gone back to the ritual place out of fear, and I'm tentative to even go back inside the woods in general. Since that incident, I have not touched shamanism in any shape or form. Do you guys reckon I accidentally made the woods here haunted? Some extra information about where I live. I live on a giant limestone ridge of sorts, where it's riddled with caves, and I know some people have died due to these caves. I live on aboriginal land, so I don't know if that has something to do with it. Bushfires have come through here recently, and I can tell by the many trees that have been left with burn marks on their bases that they're definitely hiding some secrets. I'm a hunter. I like to hunt wild boars specifically. Though I have been deer hunting and have been known to get a turkey for Thanksgiving, I mostly hunt boar. For those of you that don't know, boar is a big problem in the United States. A sow can have two litters a year and it's not uncommon for a litter to consist of ten or more pigs. Given that pigs eat everything and anything, it's not hard to see why the Department of Fish and Wildlife makes it legal to hunt them at almost no restrictions. In my state, it's illegal to hunt most large mammals with night or thermal vision scopes, except for boar and coyote. I had been saving up my fun money fund for about a year. It's hard to explain to your wife that a scope costs literally twice as much as the rifle. But I did it. I took it to the range and sighted it in. There was an area that was peppered with boar activity that I knew would be perfect for a night hunt. It was easily accessible with my truck and easy to find. I could set up in an area that overlooked a large, easy-to-navigate clearing. The night started uneventful, mostly me tinkering with my new toy, cycling through the settings. I was a little impatient. I had spotted some deer, but they were out of season, and as I mentioned earlier, my current setup wasn't legal for deer. I moved to another spot I had seen days earlier that probably wasn't much better than my first, but it gave me something to do and a new angle to look around with my scope. After an hour or so of glassing the area, it dawned on me. This spot doesn't have much animal activity at all. No rabbits or owls, and the deer that I had seen were hundreds of yards away from where I was. Why was this pocket of land in specific so dead at night, but lively in the day? I'd set up around 10pm and it was about 2am when I started to think about packing up. Maybe setting up a target before I left and taking some practice shots. I heard a crunch come from the direction I came from. I panned my scope over and saw the silhouette of a small bear pushing through the bushes. It's important to note that my scope isn't exactly night vision. It's a thermal scope, kind of like a black and white version of what you see in the Predator movies. I adjusted my range and zoomed in a little. I remember jolting a little when I saw that it wasn't actually a bear. It was a man. Because he was low and hunched over, I thought it might have been some sort of young bear at first. Is that a game warden? It couldn't be. I would have seen the headlights coming up the road from where I was. And where could he have walked from? I was 30 miles away from anything and on public lands. I was about to call out when I adjusted my sights and noticed he was naked. No shoes, pants, or anything. I remember being deeply disturbed by his movements, 
like a squirrel or something, twitchy and grabbing at the foliage, sniffing around and palming at trees. Was that my tree? The one I'd been leaning against earlier? The thought terrified me. Could he smell me? Then he did something I still have nightmares about today. He squatted and placed his hands in the dirt between his feet and stared straight up like a dog, mid-howl. And I heard it, a voice coming from that direction, a very compelling female voice. Help! I'm lost! There was a long pause, but neither of us moved a muscle. The center of my sights was trained at the dirt in front of his feet. I couldn't bring myself to aim directly at another person. It went against everything I had been taught about firearms. Were they lost? Was this some guy that had gone crazy out here? Why was his voice so feminine? Help, please, I can't walk. The voice called out. That's when I called bullshit. Not only could he walk, but when I first saw him, he was traversing the land with ease for a naked person. So good I mistook it for a bear. A damsel in distress routine. Luckily the lack of activity before had caused me to pack up most of my gear. I think I may have left behind a hat and a sitting pad, but I didn't give a single crap at that moment. I took my eyes off him for a moment to get my pack on. I buckled my chest strap and scrambled for my rifle. To my horror, he was in the same position, but his face was staring in my direction, and I swear I saw the smile. The thermal scope has an effect that makes animals' eyes appear white. How the hell had he heard me get up and put my gear on? He must have easily been 150 yards away. I screamed at the top of my lungs in that direction for that thing to F off. He stood upright, and it hit me how tall and skinny he was, easily six feet tall and very lean. He took a couple of long strides in my direction, and I instinctively sent a round sailing above his head into the tree line. He was freaky as hell, but he hadn't really threatened me. What would I tell the cops? I was unwilling and unready to shoot a person. He stopped dead in his tracks and hunched down on all fours. The next one will kill you. Go away. He stayed on all fours, and this time I had my sights trained on the center of him. His eyes were just above the grass, like a large cat or something. I was trying to stop my trembling and knew that my voice had cracked a little bit on that last warning. I was terrified. That standoff probably lasted a minute or two, maybe less, but it felt like a lifetime. In an instant, he bolted left towards the tree line opposite the road, so much for not being able to walk, I guess. I could barely keep my scope on him. He was moving so fast. He disappeared into the bush, and I sent another bullet sailing his way. I racked another round and tried to pocket the mag and swap for a fresh one, but I dropped it and didn't bother looking for it. I wasn't far from my truck and I wanted to get out of there. I could hear him in the distance yelling in this weird sound that could have been like a laugh or a cry. I scrambled up the trail and arrived at my truck breathless. I tossed my gear into the cab but kept the rifle in the passenger seat and sped off. For the longest time, I said that this story was more than likely from the perspective of having spotted some sort of deranged crackhead living off the land like some sort of caveman. I reported it to Fishing Game but all they did was scold me for hunting at night alone and never received an update. It wasn't until a camping trip when I shared this with everyone that I heard about things called Wendigos, Rakes, and Skinwalkers. My story scared the crap out of my friends, and they all told me about these legends. Honestly, I don't know what I saw that night, but it scared the crap out of me, and either way, I thought I'd share it with you all.
I was 18 years old and in the Job Corps in Cedro Woolley, Washington. It was late one night and all of us who had become friends were watching movies inside the day room. Me and a guy I became friends with decided to walk outside of the campus to this old mental hospital, I believe. It would help if you googled it to find its name, but personally, I don't remember. I know it's either in Cedro Woolley, Washington or outside Cedro Woolley, Washington, sharing the same land as the job course. So, anyway, we walked outside through this field, and we get to an area where we're standing facing the building on the side. So we're looking at it horizontally. You can tell that many of the windows are shattered, and the place looks old and messed up. Anyway, it looked like a light was in one of the rooms, and there was a crescent moon that night, kind of like a quarter moon up in the sky, so I turned to Jared and said, Look, there's a light on. I was trying to scare him. I thought that the moon was reflecting off the back of the building or something and causing it to appear like there was a light on in that room. So, he was getting freaked out, like, no way. How's there a light on? So then as we are talking, we look back and notice another light is on in the room right next to that one. So as we were talking, we were like gesturing with our bodies. So I assumed we had just moved a little bit. But it made the other room light up. So I started talking to him, and we started to walk back a little bit, and it seemed like my idea was right. Whenever we moved, that light turned off. The other room lit up. So this went on for a little bit when I pushed him back and forth slightly. And it looked like one room that was lit up with this light would go out. Then suddenly, it would look like the other room would light up. So we're standing there, talking. He's telling stories from what he's heard from other people around here about the asylum. Saying some electric chair was in there in the basement or something and they used to do lobotomies and all kinds of crazy stuff. Said there's probably ghosts and all that. The whole time I was listening to this nonsense, thinking this was hilarious. So, we both looked back and both rooms were lit up with light. Which surprised me because we didn't move at all. Then I looked at him and he looked at me. And we're like, huh, weird. Both the rooms are lit up now. Then we look back in the chambers. They are black, pitch black, no light anywhere. I look back up and the moon is in the same spot and nothing had changed. So I don't understand how both of these rooms were just now all of a sudden lit up at the same time. And then right before our eyes, they both went dark. I don't know if my mind was playing tricks on me, but it looked like I could see a face in the window. Anyway, we went back the next day and looked around the windows to see if there were any lights in there or any signs of anybody that could have been living there or something. And it didn't appear anyone would be living there. The place was trashed and we're way out in the mountains of Cedro Woolley, a job corps. There's nothing around here. It was extraordinary and we were at such a distance that if there was a person there, there's no way they could have been able to hear our conversation to try to play along. The way the room lit up, it just didn't seem like a flashlight or anything natural. And it definitely wasn't the moonlight. I live in the foothills of western North Carolina, near the base of the Blue Ridge Mountains. I used to live higher up in the mountains for a few years and hated it. So I wouldn't say I liked the woods with a burning passion, but yet, I don't hate them, I guess. Recently, I've moved back in with my folks in their cabin surrounded by the woods. The land my family owns stretches across 15 acres of woodland. Now, these are the woods I grew up in. Despite my typical aversion to nature, 
I feel safe in them. I climbed the trees, splashed in the creek, and played with stick swords when I was a kid. These woods are home to me, except for the area behind the backyard. Our cabin is on a steep hill that slopes down for about a half a mile. Eventually, it bottoms out on a creek down in the woods. The halfway point between the house and the stream is a little patch of woods, right behind the fenced-in area around the house. It's always in the shade, with no thick undergrowth, just trees. Carolina red clay, piles of leaves, the usual. But it feels bizarre down there in a way that I cannot explain. I feel very unwelcome, out behind the house for some reason. And I'm not the only one. My parents avoid it too. Even our pets, past and present, have always steered clear of it. So I will list some experiences that might get my point across better. The first experience was when I was about eight or nine years old, and one summer I thought I'd try camping in the backyard. So I set up my family's new tent and loaded it up with an air mattress and a pile of blankets, copper, my beloved dear stuffy, and some comic books. I wanted to be excited about it, but I felt uneasy even before the sun went down when my mom was helping me set up my little camping trip. The shady patch of woods around the backyard was just weird, but I was a kid, so I figured, F it, I'm 20 feet from the house, I'll be fine. I got set up for the night, stayed up reading comics, and felt like an outdoorsman, and it had barely gotten dark when I began hearing loud, rhythmic crunching in the woods. Behind the backyard, not too far from where I was, like something big was walking in circles around the undergrowth. We don't have bears in my neck of the wood. Besides, whatever it was, it was walking on two legs. It never tried to approach the backyard, even as I sat there with Copper just listening to it. It just kept walking. I barely lasted an hour in that damn tent before running inside and getting into my bed. The second one is a little interesting. My mom's an avid gardener and decided she would put together four or five raised gardening beds in the backyard for herbs and veggies. This was when I was 11, so naturally I was roped into helping. We spent the first part of the day putting them together and getting them started. Then I noticed that we would get edgy and irritable back there. We're best friends and never fight, but we'd be snapping at each other constantly raising that damn garden. I also noticed that the back woods behind our house were deathly quiet for the first time. Playing music or talking didn't make a difference. It was like that kind of silence that pressed in on you. And it's always just exactly the same back there. The beds thrived for a little while, but my mom always asked me to come with her when she tended to them. I thought it was silly at the time. She told me that she couldn't be down there by herself when I got older. She had always wait until I was home from school before checking on them because she felt uneasy and unwelcome. Eventually, we would just abandon the project altogether. The raised beds are still down there, by the way, just rotting away in the undergrowth. Since middle school, I haven't checked on them, and I'm 23 now. This last experience I will share, in my opinion, is the creepiest. The time I asked my mom to cut my hair, we were poorer then, so mom just gave me a nice twice monthly trim rather than go to a salon. It was late spring and warm, so she suggested that we cut it in the backyard for an easier cleanup. Was I maybe 13 or 14 at this point? I don't really remember correctly, so I'm just going to go with either 13 or 14. So we ventured down. I brought a stool and diligently sat while she cut my hair. Side note, 
My mom has always cut my hair, so she is very good at it, and she doesn't make mistakes. This is important. As she worked and we talked, I noticed an old familiar feeling of unease. We were not welcome back there. The trees that stood still and shadowy despite the brilliant sunny day just sucked all of the energy away. I remember that it felt cold, very cold. My mom finished up my haircut and I shook off the extra debris to let her admire her handiwork. She stepped around in front of me, angled my head this way and that, and said it looked good. Three things happened in rapid succession. First, I felt this squeeze of pressure on my lungs like I couldn't breathe. It was such a weird sensation that I froze. All of the uneasiness of the atmosphere pressed in on me all at once. Second, my mom got this odd, vacant look on her face. I remember her smile fading and her eyes going a little glassy like she was lost in thought. And then she reached out with the scissors, still making this blank expression, and snipped a deep cut into the skin right above my eye. I freaked out, screaming. I jumped off the stool and backed away. At the same time, she seemed to gather herself again, and she was almost in tears. She repeatedly apologized, not even bothering to take anything with us as we ran back to the house to treat the cut and stop the bleeding. I still have a little scar there, and she's never forgiven herself for it. There wasn't even any hair hanging over my eye either. I had a pixie cut at the time. So yeah, these are a few weird experiences that make me avoid the backyard now. I haven't even been down there in seven or eight years, but now that I'm living here again, I sometimes investigate the backyard and feel that weird shudder of apprehension. What's the deal? Why don't we feel welcome in the 50 square foot patch of land we own? Why is it so dark and quiet in this one spot? I have no idea, but my parents and I work around it and pretend that it's not there. I lived in Utah for a year now, and I've got to say it's the most beautiful state, in my opinion. Mountain ranges, valleys, and ski resorts galore, but there is a dangerous side of the wilderness here too, especially in the mountains. I've lived in multiple places in this state, such as Heber, Midway, Provo, St. George, etc. A little bit about me is that I'm an avid angler, and this story takes place in southern Utah. It was the weekend and my dad often went fishing after a long week's work. We had decided to go to Quail Lake State Park for our weekend trip. A fantastic view of mountains, clear water, and big fish is all we needed. We had gotten there at about three to four in the afternoon and tossed our lines out. After some time, I thought it was a good idea to find a new spot to be by myself, so I trailed across this creek that followed into the river and then to the lake traversing over hills, banks, and rocks to see where I'd think I'd have the best luck, and I stumbled upon a little peak out in the water and started setting up my rods. It was 7 o'clock and the sun was setting when I started getting a weird feeling that I shouldn't be there, but I stayed anyway. Nature around me soon started getting quiet and the occasional car passing across the lake, but I had blown it off thinking I came here to fish and relax trying not to stress myself out. My dad texted me saying it was time to go. I checked my phone for the time and two hours had already passed. The sun was past a set and no moonlight. So I started packing and went on my way hiking back over the hills and banks. On the trail to that spot, a lengthy rock bank with tall trees in the water caved into each other like a swamp that I crossed to get there. On the way back to the car, 
I had come to realize that that part of the trail had a massive splash, like someone had jumped in front of me in those trees, like full force. I could see the ripples come to shore, and there was no way anything smaller than 130 pounds made that disturbance in the water. It creeped me out, but I blew it off as a branch falling or something like that, as there were a lot of waterlogged trees that had been rotted, so I kept trucking along. Not even five seconds later, there were more sounds of something trudging through the water, and it sounded like it kept getting closer. The moment that happened, I snapped my head around with my flashlight, and the noises instantly stopped. I then remembered my knife that I had on me and pulled it out, yelling at whoever or whatever was making that noise to not come near me. I sat for days, scanning the trees, waiting for whatever it was to charge me, but nothing happened. I kept walking back past that rock bank, and almost as soon as I got off that bank, the splashes came back, but way closer than before. I started running, and whatever was following me stayed on my tail, but every time I looked back, there was nothing but waves from it. I had then crossed the creek like I had done before, coming to the hill straight up to where my dad had parked a million times. I stopped and turned around to get a good look at whatever this thing was finally, and there was no more splashing, no more ripples, and I saw nothing. But what has me questioning my sanity is that I could only hear water falling off the body of whatever was following me. I was scanning the rest of the trees and the bank and never saw a thing. I quickly turned around, ran up to the hill, got into the car, and told my dad to drive. I told him what happened, and to no surprise he didn't believe me at first until I told him the whole story and how serious my demeanor was. I still occasionally go out to Quail Lake, and I still haven't seen anything close to that experience. It's not only a story but one of these things that sticks out to me the most. It still leaves me wondering who or what was with me that night. Hi Swamp Dweller, I've been listening to your stories for a couple of years now, and I'm envious of the experience others have had on this channel. So to give you some background, I'm from South Africa. I'm a 26-year-old female, and the people here aren't as rich as many other cultures worldwide. However, we believe in several cryptids and other folklore you may find interesting. Without further ado, here is my story. My dad and I occasionally hike the local mountain range. We usually head out at dawn to avoid the hot African sun. My dad called and said he wanted to do a night trail this time. He is an ex-cop, so nothing freaks him out. I agreed and decided to leave my phone in the car as we pulled up to the nature reserve's parking lot. Dust clouded the air, which is expected this time of year. I wish I had taken my phone with me. God, I was so stupid. We hiked for about four miles up a steep slope and over a cliff. I was exhausted, but my dad looked like he was barely breaking a sweat. Suddenly, we hear someone cry out for help. My dad, being the hero, started to respond to the voice and told him where we were. Mind you, it's past sunset, light is limited, and we only have two flashlights to guide us. In a childlike voice, the voice kept repeating the exact words, Help me, I'm hurt, and help me, I need help. I grabbed my dad's arm and froze. I knew something was not right. I yelled back, What is your name? And the childlike voice replied, Help me, I'm hurt, in the same tone. I whispered to my dad, We need to leave, now. He protested and wanted to help, but I knew this was no child. We hauled back to the safety of the cliffs, 
and with our flashlights bouncing as we sprinted down the slippery slopes. We both fell a few times and I swear I saw something following us. In the bushes, it wasn't even too far away. It looked like an animal, crouching and waiting for me to turn my back. My dad and I reached the car in daylight. We never stopped running. We collapsed next to the car's trunk, and my dad swore like a sailor. We never really spoke about our experience after it happened. We just warned people not to go hiking in the cliffs and mountains after dark. I'm a 17-year-old guy, currently living in Phoenix, Arizona. Around six months ago, this incident took place on an overnight trip into the Superstition Mountains, about an hour's drive east of Phoenix. I'm not going to specify the exact trail because I've been doing this a long time and I know enough what happens when you post things on the internet. Whether it's a golf course, abandoned mine, ghost, or whatever it may be, people usually come flocking with a lot of trash and loud music. Anyway, this trail I was taking was an 8 mile loop through a canyon, a simple in and out overnight trip. I planned to go with my friend, but the last minute cancellation on his part left me on my own. So with a packed bag and a car ready to go, I decided to go independently. I was not leaving the house on time and having trouble navigating through forest roads. I didn't arrive at the trailhead until around 545. For those of you who don't backpack, this is a huge no-no. I had about a four-mile hike until I arrived at my planned camping spot, and it was getting dark fast, so I figured I would move quick. I could get at least two to three miles in before I had to find a spot to stop. This strategy left me hiking a very dark trail on my own with about 15 miles of dirt road between me and anyone else. Walking in the dark by itself can be scary especially for where I was being on my own. Eventually, it got so dark that I could only see where my headlamp was pointing, and that's when I figured I needed to stop and set up a camp for the night. With only using the headlamp as my light source and trying to move fast, I ended up in a less than ideal spot. But there were some burnt pieces of wood in the remains of a fire circle, hence it looked like people had been there before, but not very recently. My priority was to get a fire going, I scanned the area and was able to find some dry wood, and I got the fire going. I got my tarp out, set it up, and cracked open a can of chili mac I had brought with me. I was looking forward to eating, as I was very tired. I felt good, my camp was set up, and my food was on the fire. The uneasiness that I had from the hike had almost gone away completely, and concern from the walk-in had virtually gone away. But it was still there, a side effect of camping alone in remote areas. To fully understand what happened, I must explain how my camp was set up. The site I had picked was a small clearing surrounded by large pine trees with the trail about 30 feet to my left. When you are in the woods and have a fire going, the fire casts a circle of light around it and everything on the edge of that circle. And past it, you're pitch black. I was sitting on the ground near my fire eating dinner when a small rock about the size of a marble was thrown into my camp. I looked at the tiny rock in shock as I was positive that I was the only person on this trail that night. I immediately turned my light on and towards the area where I would seen the rock come from, and due to the density of pines and brush I could only see about 10 feet. I spent the next 15 minutes in disbelief as I scanned the tree line that surrounded me, searching for whoever had thrown that rock, not daring to stray too far away from the fire that in hindsight offered me a false sense of security. 
After sitting back down and spending the rest of my time on high alert, I convinced myself that I had somehow kicked the rock or it had fallen from a tree. I went to sleep that night not expecting the pure terror that would unfold. I woke up to the sound of rustling leaves, barely inaudible if you weren't listening for them, but they were there. Still in a sleepy daze, I heard the rustling of leaves, harder to hear as I assumed they were moving away from me. I went to grab the handheld flashlight that I had next to me when I had fallen asleep, but the more I looked, the more scared I got as I realized that it was no longer there. I stood up in my sleeping bag, ducked out of my tarp, and looked around. I could see the light off in the woods. It couldn't have been more than 15 feet away. It was my flashlight lying on the ground in a pile of leaves. This is one of the few moments in my life where I have almost crapped my pants. The flashlight that I had left sitting right next to me when I had fallen asleep a few hours ago was now 15 feet away from me past the tree line in the woods. I hurriedly slipped on my boots, clutching my knife in my other hand and keeping my head on a swivel. I weighed out my options, staying here and waiting out the night or attempting the three-mile hike back to my car in the dark. I figured that whoever or whatever was out here with me was going to have a better advantage if I was out on the trail without a light, so I decided to stay in the camp and wait it out. Eventually it came back. I could hear it walking through the woods. It was far off, but I could listen to it. It sounded like someone leisurely walking by, like they were on a stroll without a care in the world. Sometimes it would wander too far away and I would lose the sound of its steps but then an hour later, maybe two, it would return still faint as ever. This went on for three or four hours until I listened to the steps get closer and closer until they were easily seven feet away from me. The fire had been tiny as I had run out of wood in my pile. The footsteps stopped and everything went silent. I sat there for two hours, clutching a knife in my hand, praying for two hours, taking the knife into my other hand and praying that I would hear nothing else. I stayed like that until the sun cast enough light to see that I was alone at my campsite. I packed my things up and speed walked the hell out of there. I did a record three mile hike. I arrived at the empty dirt road where my car was parked and nearly sprinted to it as I unlocked my Subaru, jumped in and drove, and didn't stop until I was at least 20 miles away. I had stopped at a gas station in Apache Junction to buy a Red Bull, mostly just to see and talk to another human being. As I exited the store, I read what was written in the dust on the back of my window. It said, Sleep well? Many things have happened to me in my various adventures, especially through Arizona. But this was the most mysterious and scariest day by far, so I thought I'd share it. There is a seriously deranged person living in the Superstition Mountains. Do yourself a favor and stay far away from there. Not going into the forest again. Bye. No big. This happened to my roommate and me two years ago when we drove into the national forest just outside of our town. We go to a small college in New England, about three hours from any major city. For context, the forest has quite a few urban legends, and the local community has many superstitions about being safe while in there, although they go there very often. I had just broken up with my partner, and my roommate could sense that I was feeling down. Finals were just around the corner, so she decided to help me get my mind off things and suggested we go to a nice spot she had found last week and chill and de-stress. So we took a couple of beers and drove down to this secluded forest. 
Then, we left the main asphalt road in the woods. I saw some things that unsettled me. You could see the abandoned houses of a ghost town from higher ground the route was on. And we saw this old doll hanging from a rope on a tree. Creepy stuff, but I didn't give a second thought about driving forward. We got to a clearing, parked our car behind some trees, popped open the back of our SUV, and started talking and playing music. Somewhere around 10 minutes into this, two cars appeared from the road and parked in the clearing as well. My friend didn't pay them any attention. Instead, she kept talking, but as I was facing them from where I sat, I couldn't stop seeing what they did. A guy popped out of each car talked for a few minutes, and then I saw them take out a long object covered in dark plastic bags from the back of one of their cars. This is when I noticed these guys had guns, and not like shotguns which I often see in this town, but handguns. Then they started lighting the bag on fire. I told my friend to get down and she turned around and saw them for the first time. Black smoke was rising from the bag and between trying to keep my head down and steal glances at them. I saw them take out a second object and heard them shoot at it right before they set it on fire. I don't know how long my friend and I were lying there in silence, but it was definitely enough to let that terror sink in and whisper to each of us. I don't know how long my friend and I were actually lying there in silence, but it was definitely enough to let the terror sink in. We tried to whisper to each other how much we loved each other in case this was what we thought it was. At some point, I looked up and saw that they were pointing at our car and saw them walking into the woods, maybe trying to follow our tracks, trying to look for us. Right then, I told my friend to jump into the driver's seat and make a run for it. I shut the back door and between that and the car starting up, the guys heard it and started running towards us. They then ran towards one of their cars and hopped in. We went over a hill, driving away above what was safe for dirt roads on a hillside, and eventually we lost them. We moved to a neighboring town and roamed to ensure no one was following us before we went back to our dorm. That day, we tried to make fun of the whole situation and got drunk before finally breaking down and crying from knowing we had seen something we were not supposed to. We were terrified of telling anyone, but eventually we did tell the officers on campus who contacted the police, but we never found or heard anything again. That's Not an Elk by Jellybean. Hey Swamp Dweller, with fall setting in and hunting season upon us in big sky country Montana, there's always something to be had. Our elk hunt started 1st of September, and with that my family takes it seriously as we love the game and hunt along with stories and memories shared. This year was a bit different. My cousin and I were about 6 miles in our collective 9 mile hike, and we had what I would put as an encounter. But as any elk hunter would know, the terrain comes at a cost, and with this year's price, we were a little shaken up. As we were hiking through the thick brush and steep shell rock terrain, we took a quick break. We were having a late day snack, and my cousin decided to let off some bugles for fun. Well, the sound that came back to us was more than off-putting. We heard what sounded like an elk bugle at the beginning, which turned into a dog-like, maybe even human-like scream. We were shocked so my cousin decided to make another attempt at communicating, and lo and behold, right after this next bugle, the noise came again, but it was much closer. When you're in the thick of it, and a bugle comes through, it's usually less than 100 yards away, as obstruction with trees and brush distorts sound travel. So we decided to hike toward the noise as I was sure this had to be some sort of beast we've never seen before. 
We expected some response and wanted it. Well, we expected something else, I'd say. But as all the other levels have proven, when you're in the area of the supernatural, all ambience noise is void, and you are hyper alert. We ended up hiking out with no more issues besides being shaken up and full of adrenaline, and hopeful stories of us being able to spot something. But it was uneventful and fruitless. I'm not sure what we heard that day in the woods. Maybe it was just some sort of elk, but maybe it had some sort of health condition. But the way it sounded, the distortion behind its voice, and how it seemingly responded to our calls perfectly every time. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely weird. Michaud State Forest by Logan. This event happened 14 years ago. I was 13 years old at the time. My family loved camping in our trailer, so we decided to go camping in the middle of Easter break. This trailer was over 20 years old, so it didn't look enjoyable. We decided to go to the Michaud State Forest. This was about 2,000 miles away from us. Once we got there, we noticed only one other camper at the campsite. This camper looked brand new and had no windows. Our family was not concerned. However, being younger, I was kind of freaked out. I have always been a paranoid child for whatever reason. I read stories about how kidnappers who would live in the middle of nowhere, in state forest and just woods in general, and always have these types of campers. That night, we decided to make a campfire to toast some marshmallows. Every once in a while, I would look back at that trailer and wonder who was there. After we ate all of our s'mores, we went to sleep. I decided to lock the door, and I had a strange feeling that we needed to close it. I'm a very light sleeper, so I woke up to the sound of the door handle rattling ever so slightly. I saw I was the only one awake, so I was petrified. I decided to sit up, look out the window. Outside, there was an older man that was jiggling the doorknob. It was, of course, locked, but he was still trying to open the door like no one's business. Even more frightening, he was holding a knife. I immediately, after seeing that, woke up my parents. The older man heard me wake up my parents because he had run into the woods. After they listened to what had happened, we packed up all of our stuff, drove out of there, and reported it to the police, and they checked the area where we were. The new camper was still there at the campsite. When they went inside the trailer, they found the deceased body of a family of five, there were knife wounds all over their bodies. I can't imagine what would have happened if we didn't lock that door that night. My husband and I play music together, and in August 2017, we were on tour through Nevada and California. We decided after Reno that we'd drive through Yosemite to our next show in Fresno. We opted to take the arguably less scenic route, traveling down the California-Nevada border. By the time we made it to the 120 for Yosemite, it was dark. But since our van was our home and we didn't have to mess with the tent, we weren't that concerned. We figured we would just stop at the first campsite we saw along the route, park the van, and explore the next day. The further we go, the darker it seems to get. And for being one of the most populated national parks, it seems very dead. It's a little after 1am, and while my husband continues to look for any sign of anything, I lean back and I start to doze off. While we slowly drive through these windy two-lane forest roads, 
I feel the car slow to a stop, and the low music that we're listening to gets cut. I'm still leaning back, and I'm about to ask what's going on, but just as I started to speak, Ryan did too. Amanda, Amanda, look, look, do you see that? I lean my seat up, and about 50 yards in front of us, partially lit by our headlights, is a figure standing on the side of the road, wearing all white, shoulders square, head down, but facing the direction we're approaching. Ryan asks if I think it's a ghost, and I'm genuinely considering it a possibility. We haven't seen a town, a person, or even a car for hours. There's just no reason for a person to be out here, especially so close to the road. Ryan slowly releases his foot from the brakes, letting the van crawl forward towards the figure standing on the side of the road. When our headlights cast a full light onto the entity, it's about 25 yards in front of us when Ryan leans pressure back on the brakes. It's a man, barefoot, wearing a white button-up shirt and flowy taekwondo-esque looking pants. His stoicism is unbroken as we approached. We just stared at him and he stared back at us. Clean cut, shaggy brown hair, mid-twenties or thirties. He no longer resembled a ghost. The bottom cuffs of his pants were torn and dirty, and I thought that I could see a shadow behind him in the light. His hand wasn't outstretched as if he was hitchhiking, nor did he have any belongings with him. I don't know if he was even looking at us or just through us, like he was standing with his attention fixed, with or without a van shining its beams in his face, like his eyes, they didn't even squint when the light hit. Something felt so off. I remember saying my husband's name out loud in a tone that definitely conveyed concern. I know I wanted to speed up and get past this man. Without a word, Ryan hits the gas and we zip past him. We both had goosebumps the remainder of that drive, and I was wide awake for the rest of it too. We drove for a while without stopping, but eventually we made ourselves turn into a campground, opting for a spot underneath what seemed to be the only streetlight in the entire place. If you're entering the park from the east, this was just before Tioga Pass, right before the east entrance of Yosemite. Wild Animal Attack by J. Alvarez. Hello, Swamp Dweller. The following event happened when I was 14 years old. I am now 48. I have never told anyone what happened that day so long ago, but I struggle every day to forget this. I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, in a town very close to El Yunque Rainforest. My friends and I always used to go fishing and explore parts of El Yunque. On this day, me and my friend Jose went swimming and fishing for some time since the school was out. We took our usual route on our bikes. We hid them and continued on foot up the mountain to the creek where we swam all the time. We had a blast with some tourists that found the stream. The tourists eventually left and we stayed behind. We started to do some fishing close by when we realized it was getting dark very quickly. 
We did not bring flashlights with us because we had forgotten, and around that time there were no cell phones. We struggled to find our way back. We were falling and sliding all around. We came to a stop when we heard trees and branches snapping ahead of us. We thought it could be wild pigs or dogs. So we climbed one of the trees and stayed silent to see what it was. A few minutes passed and Jose got down from the tree. He was trying to join me where I was. I can see him in the darkness due to the moonlight shining when he just disappeared. It was like he was swept off his feet by something. I kept quiet. Maybe I was afraid, but I stayed silent. I didn't even attempt to try to find him. I, I looked from the tree I was in until I heard him call my name. For some reason, something inside of me told me not to answer. I then saw him run past my tree, and five seconds later I listened to a commotion nearby, and he started screaming for help. I was petrified. I didn't know what to do. I was a child watching my best friend getting hurt. I blamed myself for not trying to help. I was just... I was just stuck in a trance of fear. I can hear him being dragged away by something in the darkness. I stayed on the tree for hours until the next day's light. I ran down the mountain without looking back. I grabbed my bike and went straight home. My parents were not home because they had gone to work. They did not know I was even missing the night before. Jose's parents alerted the police and I said that he was not with me the night back. I was afraid they would blame me for what happened to him. They searched for days and on the fourth day they found him, or what was left of him. His belly was torn open, his eyes and tongue were missing, and police said there was nothing indicating animal predation. So what happened to him? I think about this all the time. Maybe if I had helped him, he'd still be here. Why was I such a coward? National Park Murder by Rebecca H. I was 20 years old. I left home when I was 16 and decided to explore the world and see what I could find. I had been in Texas and Louisiana most of my life. I had been raised in Louisiana for the most part. I went from Missouri to New York to California and anywhere in the United States that I could go. But finally I decided to go home. Until then, I had been staying in Oklahoma when I received a phone call from my mom saying she might be dying from cancer. I come to find out later that she wasn't, she just wanted me home. I was hitchhiking through Oklahoma and was near the Chickasaw National Park. In two days, I still needed to catch a ride. Sticking out my thumb, doing all that, and nobody stopped. So I said, oh well, and pitched a tent in the National Park. I decided to explore some and followed the paved road until I got to a camping area. A fire pit was off a little from the road and there was a clear area. There were picnic tables, so I decided that's where I was going to camp that night. I explored a little bit and followed a deer trail into the woods. As I was walking, I looked to la As I was walking, I looked to my left on the ground and a hawk was lying there with no head and it had been burned off. An eerie feeling came over me, but I just brushed it away as me being paranoid. I already had paranormal experiences, but I never encountered one involving animals. So I walked out and returned to where I decided to pitch my tent that night. I sat there until it darkened and then I set my tent up. I left the tent flap open because it was very relaxed that afternoon and it was a nice cool day. Finally night came and the street lamps along the paved road came on. The lights were good enough to where I could read a book. At that time I was reading Anne Rice's Queen of the Damned. As time went on I started to get sleepy and I reached up to zip up my tent flap and looked over to the street light directly in front of my tent, standing there, 
Under the street light was a creature as tall as the street light itself. Well, maybe not as tall, but perhaps a couple of inches below it. Its hair was wild, very long, and tangled looking. It looked a little hunched. I couldn't see any eyes because the hair seemed to be in front of its face. Its fur was all black from what I could tell, but the little skin that seemed to stick out was as white as chalk, and what little bit of skin I could see were its hands, which went past its knees. The hands were just hanging there. Their nails were black, very black, so dark it seemed to absorb the light itself. It just stood there and seemed like the air surrounding it was like vibrating. There was static, it seemed. The air just felt energized. Don't get me wrong, I was very startled and afraid. I didn't know what this thing was at all. Then suddenly, underneath the hair, I could see white start to show as if the creature was smiling at me. It stood there for a very long time. Finally, as I was looking at it, something came over me. Now, you may not believe me. You might say this story isn't true, but I know what happened. I know that this occurred. I grew angry, and I grew furious. I felt rage inside of me, and it, it just grew solid. I stared the creature down, got out of my tent, stood up and looked straight at it and said, I am not afraid of you. You have no power over me. I then started reciting prayers. It seemed to make the creature laugh almost, and all that did was make me even angrier. I stood there once again and told it the same thing, that I was not afraid of it. It had no power over me, and I began to recite more prayers. I wasn't sure why I was doing this. It's just something that I felt was right, and I had seen this so many times from my grandma over the years when she felt that there was demons or evil spirits around. I stood there staring at it for what seemed like the longest time. White hot rage grew inside of me when suddenly I heard a loud snap behind me. I turned around quickly to find out what the noise was. There was nothing there. And then, a thought quickly occurred to me that this thing was probably behind me now. I turned around quickly and again looked towards the streetlight, but it was no longer there. I bundled up in my sleeping bag after it disappeared. That night as I slept, I had horrible nightmares of this creature standing over me, laughing with a toothy grin. The following day, I packed up my stuff and looked toward the streetlight where the thing had been standing. There was what looked like blood on the street lamp pole. I no longer had that anger I had. I was now terrified. So I gathered all my stuff and got out of there as quickly as possible. I headed to the highway, stuck out my thumb, and someone finally picked me up. I have never been back to Chickasaw National Park, and I don't think I ever will. I never plan on going there ever again. A warning, be careful where you camp. You never know who you might come across, what you might come across. You might not believe what I have written, but it did happen and it did occur to me. Thank you for taking the time to read The Swamp Dweller, and if anybody may know what creature that may have been, Comments are very welcome. A Shapeshifter Ruined My Fishing Trip by Kyle E. This is the time I swear I heard and saw a skimwalker or shapeshifter with two of my friends. At the time I lived in North Carolina, I won't say where precisely for privacy reasons, but my friends Caden, Alex, and I decided it would be a fun idea if we went camping with some weed and some alcohol and just a 38 on us. We collectively decided to go to a nice trail near a lake that we all enjoyed, and it seemed relaxing, but man, was I wrong. It took an hour and a half to get to the campsite, so when we got there, we weren't really in the mood to set up at first. We wanted to talk or we wanted to walk around for a bit and see the lovely lake view. After we chilled out for a bit, we all agreed it was time to set up because it was going to get dark soon. So Alex and I set up the camp while Caden started the fire and put rabbit stew over it. 
This next part is essential. I remember Alex saying, Hey, can you help me with this? Because he couldn't put the rods in the loop. A little after Alex and I were done, we asked Caden to see if the dinner was ready, and he said it would be shortly. It was at this moment I suddenly felt cold down my neck, like I was being watched. So I put on my holster for 38. My friends noticed this and asked what was wrong. I told them I felt like I was being watched, and they shrugged it off as some sort of joke, and I immediately felt a little better after this. Fast forward three hours, and we were by the campfire, smoking our joints and drinking, when I felt a cold rush through me again. I didn't want to say anything about it this time, so I told them I was getting tired, and they all agreed. So we put out the fire, and Alex said he had to take a leak, and Kaden and I said fine. So we packed up trash and put out the fire. Not a minute later, we both heard Alex call us from the woods. Hey, can you help me with this? But it was weird. Because it was in a distorted voice and impossible, because we saw Alex go right out of the camp and this came from the left. This freaked Caden and me out, so we called Alex on my phone to see if what he needed. I was already scared enough, I didn't want to go into the woods. He picked up and said, what? I replied, what do you need help with, man? And he said, what do you mean? I immediately pulled out my 38 and told him to get back to the site as quickly as he could. I stayed on call with him so I could hear the leaves crunching on call but I didn't listen to it outside the camp, so I knew he went a little way. Then I heard again, Hey, can you help me with this? Now honestly, I'm not a tough guy on the inside or out, so my eyes started to tear up from pure fear. As I turned and saw Caden, I saw him with the same face. We both knew it wasn't Alex calling out, but it sounded exactly like him, so we were terrified. It felt like an eternity, but most likely was only 20 seconds later when we heard footsteps coming from the right of the camp. We peeked out the tent and saw Alex with his phone. We told him what had happened, and he did not believe us. He said we couldn't handle being crossfaded, which was slightly true, but we told him that this was actually, like, not even a joke. This was real. He wanted to go check it out, so he asked for the pistol. I told him no, so he said, Come with me then. Me being stupid, I gave in because he was my friend and he was also calling me a pussy. We got out of the tent and walked toward the area. When we walked for about five seconds, the smell of pure death hit my nose and made me gag. I knew we were near a dead animal. Alex wanted to walk a little bit further, so we did. And then, that's when we heard it. Hey, can you help me with this? And we saw a seven-foot-tall, pale creature standing on its hind legs. Its legs were crooked. Its eyes had a white glow to it, and without hesitation, I pulled out my gun and shot six rounds into its chest. We all ran back to the camp when we heard it growl and scream. We didn't know if it was following us, or if it was because I packed the shit out of it, but we left as fast as we could. We packed up almost all we could, and I'm pretty sure we didn't leave much behind, if anything. This took place a few years ago and still makes me feel sick to even think about it. Please let me know in the comments what you guys think about this. Creepy Dude on the Trail by Snoo Peripherals 6557 It finally started raining here, so I took my 14-year-old son out mushroom hunting over the weekend. It was later than we usually go and the sun goes down much earlier these days, but we were taking a short trail to the river and back, hoping to find turkey tails or chanterelles. 
We took a wrong turn and ended up going through a big field, which would take us back to the main trail along the river. As we walked toward the main trail, the last group of people had left. It was just my son and myself. We walked along, and this weird man came out of the thicket side of the trail. He had a dog with him that was alert at his side. He was staring at us as we walked closer to him. Then he started waving at us. It was this bizarre, slow wave. I was immediately uncomfortable and goosebumpy, but didn't want to be impolite, so I half-heartedly waved back while staring back and telling my son to slow up. I didn't wish to meet up at the junction. After a full minute of us dawdling, the guy slowly turned to begin walking down the trail toward the main path. I was walking very fast and I was wary. I didn't want to go too fast, but I didn't want to go too slow. We stopped to look at some plants, so the guy and dog got further down this trail which curved to the right and continued on for two more blocks into the junction. I was thinking if this were a creepy story on the Swamp Dweller podcast, this dude would be waiting around the corner for us. Sure enough, thank god I listened to all these Swamp Dweller stories, because that's exactly what went down. He was standing at the junction, off to the left and toward the parking lot, and to the right was a .6 mile trail to the river. This dude was standing with his dog staring at us, not moving an inch. Both my son and I were like, holy crap, let's keep wide to the right and see what's going on because this guy looks very creepy. We could run faster than him for sure, he was much older than us. Generally, we planned for the freaky deaky just in case. As we approached, the creepy old man kept staring at us as if he were in a trance. I asked if he was okay and he just kept staring back without a word. He was greasy-haired, with tiny round glasses, a blue windbreaker, and long plaid shorts. He looked around 50 years old and his dog was a small beagle mix. He didn't answer me at all. He just kept staring at me with that blank expression that I could only equate to Jeffrey Dahmer. We turned to the right and walked about a block. I had my phone cam facing me so I could watch over my shoulder, and the only movement was him slowly shifting his direction to continue staring at us. I didn't say anything else to him. His stare was moderately unsettling as it was, made more so by his lack of response, emotionless face, weird tiny glasses, and slow wave like he was a zombie. He did leave because on our way back he was no longer standing on the main trail, but ultimately I don't know what came of him, and it freaked me out for a long time. Women Screaming in the Woods by Dramatic Complaint So this event happened over the weekend while I was at home from college for my mom's birthday. On Saturday night, I had a couple of beers with my girlfriend, who was spending the weekend at our house because my parents were super chill about that stuff. At about 12.30pm, a few minutes after my parents went to bed, I went to the back porch to grab a couple more beers for myself and my girlfriend, who was waiting in the basement where we planned to watch Game of Thrones for a while before going to sleep. I opened the back door, stepped onto the back porch, and immediately the hairs on the back of my neck stood on end, and I felt like I was being watched from the tree line. My back porch overlooks the backyard, which leads directly into thick woods that go on for many miles. Thought nothing of it at first. I always feel a little spooked going outside at night, but as I opened the cooler, uh, I heard something. In my mind, it was unmistakable. The agonizing screams of what sounded like my next-door neighbor and her teenage daughter. What's even more terrifying is I swear they were screaming a particular thing. Sam, help us. Please, Sam. Now, I was drunk and already on edge. Frankly, I turned around without the beers and locked the door behind me as I went back inside. 
Then I heard my mom's voice calling from upstairs asking me if I had heard it. I responded yes and asked if she knew what it was. She didn't have a clear answer, only speculation, but she knew that our neighbors were both not home at the time on vacation. So I don't know who, what, or why caused this whole thing. But it's freaked me out for many, many weeks, and I really hope somebody in the swamp can tell me what it was. Creepy Encounter Backpacking by It's Botany Itch I went backpacking alone over the recent long weekend, which was definitely a 10 out of 10. The second night, I camped at a beautiful high-elevation lake, which a short, one-mile trail could also access. So there was a few other campers and several people who were just day hiking or fishing. It was late afternoon and I was sitting around my camp reading when a guy in his mid-twenties walked by carrying a fishing pole in a small cooler. I didn't really think much of it, but after five to ten minutes later, he doubled back and came and said hi. I said hello in return and went back to reading, but he sat down on a stump next to me without a warning. I was utterly taken aback by this invasion of my space. He started asking me questions that were really just statements but in a creepy amused tone like, So you're just reading? And then looked behind me and noticed my tent and said, Oh, you're staying the night here alone, huh? I didn't say anything in response to this in particular, but it is evident that I am. It's hard to explain, but this vibe was really off-putting. I was so uncomfortable that I couldn't even form words or tell him I was trying to be alone or get him to leave. I was honestly paralyzed. His eyes were so dead and dark, and they just drilled into me. I just responded with, uh-huh, or yep, or something just very uninterested. I tried to pretend I was still reading, but without warning, he pulls out, cracks a beer, lights a cigarette, and starts blowing it at me. At this point, I'm so uncomfortable and just not responding. Soon, another hiker wandered by, and he struck up a conversation with him and I took the opportunity to grab my water filter and bladder and pretend I needed to go get water. I went to the shore, filtered some water super slowly, and saw him walk away and sit with the new guy, which relieved me a bit, except that he kept looking in my direction. I came back eventually, got inside my tent, and for about 20 minutes, everything was fine. I had a rain fly that I pulled back and was watching the sunset. I was loosely organizing my things when he popped out from behind my tent and stood maybe about a foot from my door looking down at me. He didn't say anything, but he just started laughing creepily and fakely. It, it was just so uncomfortable. I asked, what do you want? And his response was, this is just really funny. I felt sick to my stomach and responded with something like, I'm taking a nap now, so have a good night. He laughed again, but luckily left. Later, I saw him wandering around the camp with no real purpose, looking in my direction very often. I had no cell phone service. I had no cell phone service, but I wrote down his last name at least what was written on his cooler, and where he said he was from while talking to another hiker in my notes app, just in case, and slept with my pocket knife very close. I debated leaving camp altogether that night, but I ended up staying and just leaving early in the morning in case he came back. Typically while backpacking, I think the worst thing that could happen is that I might run into a bear or sprain my ankle. And maybe this seems not as wrong as you're reading it, but this was the most unsettling experience I've ever had in the backcountry. I'm sure I'll be back out soon, but I hope I meet a bear next time instead of some creepy guy who just wants to stare at me and laugh creepily. Strange Animal Encounter by Phobia117 One day last year, I was hunting in a ground blind on the outskirts of a field about 20 yards from a stream. On the other side of this creek was a massive uphill slope covered in trees. 
We call this area the thicket. The property is roughly two hours northeast of Atlanta, Georgia. This particular day wasn't very active. I had been in the blinds for about an hour and a half and hadn't seen a single deer. I heard something strolling down the hill behind me. It was about four or five o'clock and stopped right about when it got to the creek. It sounds heavy as it walks, so I'm expecting to see a massive deer, as there aren't any good-sized animals in this area besides them. There have been bears sighted on the minor road that the property lies on, but that's few and far between, and it's always a big local story when it happens, and I've been living here for about 30 plus years and I've never seen one personally. It's quiet for a minute, then suddenly I feel something hit the top of the blind, maybe about the size of an acorn or a small rock. I'm under a small tree so I don't think too much of it, but after about 30 seconds it happens again. The nature of this occurrence leads me to believe that something didn't fall on the blind. Something was thrown at it. Now this is about the time I start asking myself questions. I didn't have time to ask many before it stepped into the creek. I can hear water splashing around, confirming that this was big and heavy. Whatever it was, it was massive. I finally work up the courage to stand up in the blind and look out the back window and flap to see if I can see my quote-unquote assailant. But there's nothing there. Nothing at all. The noises have stopped. I sit down, wondering what the hell is happening behind me, and starting to get a bit unnerved. That's when I hear something grunting. It's making these concerning vocalizations, and once again, it starts stomping around in the creek, splashing every which way. When I hunt, I usually carry a buck knife and a 9mm handgun, and my primary rifle is a Browning X-Bolt, chambered in a 300 short magnum. The short version is, it's a massive, little powerful bullet for anyone who doesn't understand what that means. This thing, it'll blow you up real quick. Most deer I kill with it never run away and bleed out somewhere. They usually are dead before they even hit the ground from blunt force trauma. In short, it's just a hair short of being considered overkill. I only tell you this to highlight that I wasn't precisely defenseless at the time. It was quite the opposite. After about two to three more minutes of hearing this thing cause an uproar in the creek, I decided my only way out was a confrontation. I stand up, unzip my blind, and take the safety off my shoulder cannon as I step into the open field. But again, it was just me. There was nothing out here, just an empty field, nothing in the creek, nothing in my area, nothing in the thicket, and no sounds of any kind. Absolutely nothing. I've had about all I can stand at this point, and I don't care how many guns I have. Nothing that big and that heavy can just vanish into thin air. It was time to get back to the RTV and get the heck out of there, and now. But I couldn't even take one step in the direction of my ride when I heard it again. Sauntering back up the hill, deep into the thicket, I swear this time I can hear it breathing too. I haven't hunted in that area again, and I don't think I ever plan to. Just remember, we're not the only things out there in the woods, and you never know what you might run into. I don't think this was a Sasquatch, I don't think it was a skimwalker, but I don't know at all what it was. Church in the Wood by Anonymous I've been watching this show for a long time, and I've recently been snowed in a board, so I figured I'd finally share my own story. This happened, and this is how it went down. No BS. This is not fake. And I warn you, it's very long. I grew up in Ohio in the 1970s, and my childhood friend Joe was outside all the time. We could manage it. Honestly, we loved it out here. Joe lived on a farm bordering a massive national forest, and my parents would drop me off in the morning and we would stay in the woods all weekend. 
We'd only come out for school. We loved pretending we were frontiersmen. We'd build shelters, traps, and practice making fire with sticks in our yard. When we got to be in high school, we got this notion to pull a big stand-by-me type trip, you know? This was based on the movie of the same name that had just come out. The idea was that we would walk out to the railroad tracks out in the country, but instead of looking for a dead body, we'd find cool bridges to fish from and camp a little ways off the tracks. Of course, we knew this was dangerous, and we'd likely be trespassing. But we were kids, we had a lot of fun, and we did find beautiful rivers. We did discover bridges no one went to, and we did fish, and we did hide from trains. We camped in those woods near the tracks at night and made small hidden fires. Nothing wrong ever happened. It was idyllic. It was so much fun. We did it multiple times and I never had a problem. After high school, Joe and I went our separate ways. We both left home but always stayed in touch and always tried to coordinate visits so we'd see each other occasionally. Well, one summer in the mid-1990s, it worked out that we were both in town for about a week at the same time. We'd do stuff with family in the day, but at night we'd either catch drinks at a bar or sit outside Joe's house around a fire and talk about the good old days. One night, Joe and I talked about our stand-by-me trips. Well, nostalgia and beer are a hell of a mix. Soon, we decided to take a day, walk the rails, camp one night, and walk home. The day came and we started early morning. We had my wife drop us off in our old place where we used to create outside of our hometown. She thought that it was crazy and made sure to mention it multiple times. When she pulled away, Joe suggested that instead of walking the usual route, we should take an opposite direction to be adventurous. We knew the land well, we had a map, and I gave him the what the hell shrug and we set off. The day went fine. It was fun and a little sad, but in a good way. We found a bridge, sat on the edge, smoked a joint, and moved on. We had no fishing gear this time, but we brought some canned food and other stuff to make sure we were fed. Before the night started to set in, we picked a spot to camp. It was a thickly forested area with trees on every side of the train tracks, so you felt like you were in a tunnel. We had brought small hammocks to sleep on, but before we set them up, we decided to do a little scouting of the perimeter. This is what we used to do in the old days, too. We'd walk the area around a little bit to make sure there wasn't some dude's house just over the hill or something, and we weren't camping in their yard. We walked maybe 100 feet into the woods and up a slight incline. We figured we would be fine if we didn't see anything from the top of the short hill. But when we got to the top, we saw an old building. Down at the bottom, about 100 yards into the woods, it was barely visible. We pondered over what to do. We both assured it was a sugar shack or something because there didn't appear to be any clear roads to it. It didn't seem like it had any land clearing. From where we were, there didn't look to be anyone. All was quiet and no movement can be seen. No lights, no sounds, nothing. We decided to walk a little bit closer to make sure. We came down the hill very slowly and as we neared the building, we saw it wasn't a sugar shack at all. It was an old church. It looked like it had been abandoned for many years. It was a squat, sagging building whose wooden planks were almost black from years of moss and rot. A cross still stood at the top of the place, also weathered black. None of the windows had glass, and there were no doors, just open doorways. We got close enough to see inside, and there were rows of pews and built-up sections in front of the preacher where he would usually stand. We didn't go all the way in. We didn't want to. Beyond that, there was no sign of anyone else. No footprints, no paths, no roads. It was an abandoned church in the middle of trees. We immediately left as quickly as we could, went back up the hill to the spot that we had picked the camp. 
Having a mountain between the church and us made us feel just a bit better though, but we were still feeling a little uneasy. We chalked it up to the natural creepiness seeing a church in the middle of the woods would elicit. Besides, at this point it was dusk and we decided to rig up our hammocks, go to sleep, and move on in the early morning. Night set in, and as we lay in our hammocks and just kind of talked crap, we began to hear something in the direction of the church. Our conversation went a little like this. Do you hear that? Yeah, what the heck is that? It, it sounds like people singing. And it did sound just like singing. We both slid out of our hammocks and crouched down, straining to hear more. We listened for a minute or two, and the singing continued. But it wasn't getting louder. Finally, we decided to creep back up the hill and see if we could spy on where the sound was coming from. We could still lurk in the woods from the old days, which was second nature to us. The moon was barely out but provided enough light so you wouldn't walk into a tree, but it was near pitch black. We didn't use flashlights as we crept slowly up the hill and didn't speak a word. We saw the light in the distance, and when we got to the top, we knew that something was indeed coming from the church. The singing was coming from inside. Joe and I put our heads close together. We kept a calm conversation that boiled down to, can you believe this? The light looked like candlelight from how it flickered. Though we tried very hard, we couldn't seem to discern what was being sung. It did sound like church music, but in another language. We sat and watched for quite some time trying to see who was in there, but we only saw occasional shadows. We had no intention of getting closer either. We had about a football field length between us and we aimed to keep it that way. The singing continued for some time and abruptly stopped. After that, a booming male voice began to chant. I was already freaked out at this point, but this voice thoroughly scared the ever-living crap out of me. It sounded like some Old Testament preacher you see in the movies, but again it was like he spoke in a different language because we couldn't understand a single word. At this point, I was ready to say, let's get the heck out of here, when Joe put a hand on my shoulder and hissed, they're coming out. We were far enough away that we couldn't make them out well, but we could see a line of figures walking out the open doorway, all holding hands in a single file. We could see some of them had flashlights. They began to sing again, and the lights and the flashlights started to move towards us and the hill. We booked it back to our campsite, grabbed our stuff, and ran to the tracks. Once there, we ran down the routes in the direction we had come from. After a few minutes, we stopped and looked back. We saw lights coming down the hill. They were moving erratically, like whatever was holding them was shaking. We continued to run in spurts and walk as fast as we could. We eventually stopped seeing the lights, and when we came to a road, by the luck of our map, we knew a small town was about 15 minutes down it. We walked there, got to a 24-hour gas station, and called my wife to come get us. My wife and her friend thought it was just kids messing around, but I heard those voices. I'm sure they weren't kids. I'm not sure who those people were, but it was the creepiest thing to ever happen to me out in the woods. Hello Swamp Dweller, my name is Tristan, I'm a female, and when this took place I was 16 years old. Before we get into this let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm incredibly superstitious and incredibly spiritual. I have a long history with the supernatural, starting at a very young age. Well, with that said, let's dive right in. 
This all took place in late winter on a reservation in northern Nevada, so don't think of cacti and sand when picturing this place. Imagine more mountains, snow, and a lot of sagebrushes. My best friend Courtney had invited my brother, Austin, and myself out to move cattle from one field to another and maybe explore a little bit. Get some roping practice in while we were at it too. So, early on Saturday morning, we hooked up to the trailer, loaded horses, and spent the weekend doing what we loved most. We got out to the ranch at about 6am, got the horses saddled, and ready to go. But my mare seemed incredibly on edge upon our arrival. She's typically pretty even-tempered, although she's got a bad attitude. She'll always do what's asked. We started our morning by moving all the pregnant mamas to a field closer to the barn. It could have gone a lot better, but all of our horses had no interest in being there for some reason, and I would soon find out why. After a rough morning, we decided to get loose and rope. We took eight steers down to the arena, which was quite a ways away, but worth every second. By the time our shoulders were sore, and we had had our fill of throwing ropes, it was one in the afternoon. The arena we were at was about half a mile from a river that just so happened to have an abandoned church with a rather dark past on its other side. The detail will be more important later, but keep it in mind. As I had said before, I'm a very spiritual person, and so is Courtney. Before coming out, we had prepared some stuff for our horses. For my mare and Courtney's, I had taken rosemary, lavender, and made a tea. I soaked strips of yellow ribbon, naturally leaving it overnight, and set it out under a full moon. I also had my salt that I gathered myself in the salt flats of Utah. Charcoal and eggshells ground into a fine powder. I used this to draw protective residuals on my horse, as if the ribbon braided into her mane and tail wasn't enough. Call me paranoid, but I had spent enough time on reservations and the woods to know that spooky things and evil spirits prowl everywhere. I want to clarify, we did not do this for Austin's horse. Being the religious individual he is, he told us, there was absolutely no way we were putting any of that witchy mumbo-jumbo on his horse. With the actual work being done and practice finished, we wanted to explore the area. It was a wonderful place with frost-covered trees and practically untouched snow. We wanted to see every inch of it. There was a trail that ran alongside the mountain we thought would be a perfect one to go explore, so we could get an overlook of the area and maybe a few cool pictures for Instagram. You had to go over the river's bridge, past the church, and go up the roadways to get to this trail. So we hopped back on and headed that way. This is where it starts to get complicated. I had said the horses were a handful already. Little did I know they had a lot more in store for us. Approaching the river, Courtney's little red mare went ballistic, refusing to go even one step closer to the water. It kept backing up to the tree line. I looked to my left to see Austin having his rodeo. He wasn't a stranger to it, thankfully enough. Rebel, his horse, was a half-crazy, off-track thoroughbred he repurchased four months from a kill. I wanted to help, but it wasn't easy, considering the road was iced over, and I didn't feel like hitting the ground myself. Amid the mild chaos, I caught the faintest smell of rotting flesh. Incredibly odd, considering everything is frozen but that didn't occur to me until much later. 
I figured that smell was the reason for the horse's outburst, so we turned back and headed back to the area where the arena was. We were all a bit mad at the situation and agreed to call it a day. The plan was for the horses to stay here for the night. We three stay over at Courtney's and return for them in the morning. Simple enough, right? So we got everyone settled for the night. Water, food, and because I have trust issues, I always padlock the gate to my horse corral. Courtney's dad had come out to pick us up and we all went to our family friend's house for dinner. His name was Ellis, and he was a great cook. Over dinner, we discussed our day and our troubles at the river. Austin explained most of that story, but Ellis became unsettled when I chimed in with the detail about that nasty smell. He went on to tell me the lore about the area and exactly what had happened at the abandoned church so many years ago. Courtney and I were utterly immersed, Austin not so much. He thought it was hogwash, so he stepped out to the front porch to call his girlfriend. After being told all of this, I was very unsettled and wanted to check on my horse one last time before we headed out for the night. I asked Courtney's dad if I could borrow his truck to drive the mile down the road. Without hesitation, he tossed me the keys and said, Don't wreck it or you'll be walking back to my house. I laughed and went to walk out. Ellis nearly flipped his chair. He jumped up so fast, Young lady, you think you're going out there alone? I sheepishly replied. Well, yes sir, it's just down the road. He refused to allow it, so I threw my hat at Courtney and said, Pitter-patter, our ponies are waiting. Walking out the door, we saw Austin sitting on the porch swing, whistling a tune, and I snapped at him instead, aggressively telling him, Are you stupid? Whistling at night? You know what that invites. Frustrated, he stood up and rolled his eyes, telling us, You know you're only freaking yourselves out with that stuff. It's not real. I chuckled at him and told him, You say that now, until someday my silly little rocks and plants are the only thing keeping you safe from the monsters under your bed. He walked back inside with another roll of his eyes. Courtney took the driver's seat, so I hopped into the passenger seat of her dad's blue F-250. After dark, the temperature had dropped dramatically, making the rough dirt road an ice rink. We could go no more than five miles per hour. We didn't care too much though, it just gave us more time to sing along to the radio. Being 16 year old drivers, we sped up too much and got the truck sideways. Finally coming to a stop, we had slid right in front of the church in that old set of creepy woods. Dramatic, I know, but you can't make this stuff up. Laughing that we nearly wrecked the truck when Courtney's dad had joked about it just a few minutes before, we let the vehicle idle for just a minute while we gathered our composure. We were in the middle of the road, sure, but we were in the middle of nowhere surrounded by trees and a creepy church. What more could go wrong? We had the high beams on, and I'm not entirely sure what compelled me to do it. But I found my eyes wandering toward the church. Nothing was all too exciting until I could see what almost looked like a pair of red eyes. Not the bright, menacing red most people would describe. The only way I can describe it is it was almost a deep auburn color and it wasn't glowing. Just simple red eyes staring right through me. They were so high up too. I tried to rationalize. Maybe it's a mountain lion in a tree or a weird big elk. I can't see it all that well. I can't see it. My forgetful self once again forgetting my glasses. That's when I smelt it again. That 
terrible, awful, rotten meat smell. I stared intently, trying to make anything out. I nearly launched Courtney back into her seat and told her to hurry up. I needed to make sure my baby was okay. She must have seen the same thing I did because she had lost all color in her face. She stomped on the gas, but nothing was happening. Just as I was about to tell her to stop, the truck launched forward and smacked my forehead against the dash, enough to hurt but nothing more. I gave my friend a sarcastic, ouch, followed by a well-deserved eye roll that would have put Austin to shame. We finally pull into the arena parking lot to find our horses unhurt but completely freaked out. None of them had touched their food, all drenched in sweat. They looked like they had walked out of a horror movie. I was completely uncomfortable with the situation, and I didn't want to leave them there overnight. But it was late, and not to mention I was in the middle of the woods with icy roads, and to get a trailer out there would be a nightmare. I'm not sure where I gathered the courage, but I jumped out of the truck and ran to my horse. I tried my absolute best to calm her down, kissed her, told her how sorry I was and promised to get her as soon as the sun came up. Then I took off my obsidian necklace and tied it to her ribbon that I had braided into her mane that morning. Courtney called me crazy for leaving the truck safety, but I felt awful for them staying out there. We made it back to Ellis's house, where we couldn't explain everything to him fast enough. We were angry at him for letting us go out. I then received a rather lengthy lecture about getting out of the vehicle and how bad it could have been, but it was 11 p.m. When Courtney's dad told us to pick them up so we could head out, we piled into the 250 and drove the 45 minutes to Courtney's house. We nearly fought over the shower, but eventually all of us got the chance to wash away the day's filth. At 12.30 a.m., we finally went to bed. Courtney and I slept in the bed together and Austin got booted to the floor, where he made his own little nest under the window. Sometime around 3.07 a.m., I am woken up by Austin nudging me. Tristan, if you're going to fart like a dog, go poop outside like one. I was confused and angry for being woken up. Then I smelt it. The same smell from the river. I swear it burns the hair right from your nose. I was so tired I didn't care. I took a light swing at Austin and told him to go back to his dog bed on the floor. Right back to sleep I went. 3.32 am. Tap, tap, tap. I wake up thinking to myself, this is the night I kill my brother. Tap, tap, tap. I get out of bed to find him sound asleep in his spot. That smell was still in the air. I was starting to freak out, so I woke up Courtney. She smelt the same thing when she was awake enough to comprehend what was happening. Tap, tap, tap. She heard it too. We both knew whatever had been messing with the horses was now trying to do the same to us. We both got to moving, lighting black candles and burning sage. The moment the stage was lit, the tapping had stopped and we heard the most gut-wrenching sound. It was almost like a woman and a goat and an injured bird trying to let out a sound all at the same time. This jarred Austin awake, and he shot right up. To see us standing there, hands full of candles and sage, he angrily stood up and began yelling, This has gone too far. I don't know what type of weird stuff you're doing, but don't do it around me. He went to sleep on the couch after that. 3.50 a.m. rolls around. We finally settled down from the adrenaline rush and tried to salvage the last bit of time we had to sleep. 
5am, I woke up utterly exhausted, but I rolled right out of bed to get some coffee and dressed. I walked into the living room to find Austin still passed out on the couch. I started the coffee and politely woke up my brother, then wandered back into the room to do the same for Courtney. After she had gotten dressed, curiosity got the best of us and we went outside to see if whatever was tormenting us last night left any sort of evidence. Well, it did, that's for sure. There were deer tracks all around, but not any regular deer tracks. They were massive, and they appeared to be bipedal. I grew up in this area, and I know what deer tracks look like. These, these were just wrong. When we got up closer to the window, I felt my heart drop. I couldn't entirely move or talk or think for that matter. The necklace that I had tied to the ribbon on my horse's mane was now lying in the snow under the window. Courtney did not say a word. She just picked it up and grabbed me by my arm, and we walked inside. Immediately following that, we hooked up the trailer and got back to the arena as soon as possible. The truck had not even stopped when Courtney and I flung open the doors and went to the corrals. To my complete and utter relief, my horse and Courtney's were just fine. They never ate any of their hay, but they did appear to have calmed down a bit. I could see where the end of the yellow ribbon was significantly shorter than I had left it. Even odder was the padlock. It had been picked. Not opened, just unlocked. The gate hadn't even been swung open. The whole area was riddled with those identical deer prints as well. I knew, and Courtney knew it had been the same thing from the night before. Austin had kept Rebel a few stalls down from ours because they tended to try and fight. When we checked on Austin's horse, he had a slightly more disturbing sight than we all dealt with. Rebel was still wholly shaken up, but had minor cuts covering him from head to tail. It was nothing serious, but it was off-putting. There were also dents all over the panels that hadn't been there before. Austin was understandably upset about this and loaded him up really quickly and we got out of there. I don't really know what happened. There's a lot of times that we go to that area with no issues. It's rural, and I understand that the woods can hide a lot of interesting creatures. But sometimes, when I listen to the stories on the Swamp Dweller show, it reminds me of this, this weird encounter. And I sometimes think it was some sort of skimwalker, wendigo, crawler, whatever you want to call it. So I've been listening for a while now to Swamp Dweller, as well as others, to see if anyone has had a similar experience. Some have experienced something vaguely similar, but not close enough. I've shared elsewhere to small local groups that were kind and understanding, unlike my family who still ridicules me for this. I'm in my mid-twenties now, and this happened at age 12, but the groups would suggest stuff like skinwalkers or Bigfoot. If that's what this was, then it was horribly mutated or deformed. This, if it was not real, was the most vivid and convincing shared hallucination ever, as two of my friends witnessed it as well. I doubt I'll ever get them to share though, as one I lost contact with a couple years later when he moved, and the other is even more traumatized by it than I am. If I even mention it, he starts to enter fight or flight mode just from the thought. Sorry about the long intro but I feel it is needed for clarity. Well, it was a warm day in the early summer just after school ended. 
My two friends and I were riding bikes just outside of town, kind of just exploring, when we came across a house that seemed clearly abandoned, yet still looked new. We thought briefly that maybe it wasn't actually abandoned, but after a while, we knew for sure it wasn't lived in, so we decided to check it out. It was actually very creepy to me. It was in excellent condition, but was totally empty of anything that wasn't built in. Although, there were also burnt and illicit drawings and movie cases, which my friends became preoccupied with, like it was a jigsaw puzzle. I was really weirded out with the whole deal, so I decided to go for a walk in the woods out back. Right outside was an old school silver bullet style trailer. Not sure if you'll know what I mean, but that's how I know to describe them. I opened the door, and it was absolutely full of all the missing household items, as if they planned to return for it, but never did. It didn't seem that old, just had some slight dust gathering. Even more uncomfortable, I walked into the woods, as nature is very calming to me and I felt I needed to chill out. But this was very creepy to me too, so I walked for less than a minute. Then, out of nowhere, I felt extremely dazed and my vision became blurry. I can't tell what's what. Everything blended together. I'm not sure why I didn't stop. I just kept walking. After a while, not sure how long, everything clears up, and I'm beside a freshly built looking barn. There seemed to be no real way for anything to get to this barn besides walking up, which confused me, as typically, a barn would need some kind of vehicle access to. So I decided to look inside, and as soon as I turned in the doorway, I'm greeted by the sight of a horse lying on its side, with this creature hunched over it. It stands on two human-like legs, except they were as big as smaller tree trunks, maybe seven or eight inches around, and its legs ended in stumps like an elephant. It was huge, towering above my dad's height of six foot six, and I stood there for a minute in pure terror, looking at this thing in broad daylight. Its shape was mostly human as I said, but it was hairless and had very light gray, very wrinkly, saggy skin. Its face lacked any features that a face normally has, besides two tiny black pinpricks that must have been eyes. Now I must say, at first I thought it was preying upon the horse, but I'm actually not sure what it was doing, as there was no blood or injury that I saw. I wasn't able to get a really good look though, before the creature strode towards me, almost casually. I, however, was finally not frozen with fear and ran back the way I came. The same feeling enveloped me, but the fear helped me keep sprinting until I made it back to the house and began screaming at my friends. They started to laugh at me, to which I replied, whatever, watch that window, it's coming, I'm out of here. But before I could take a step, they saw it emerge from the trees, screamed, and we all ran for our bikes and booked it. For years, we didn't speak about it, and still don't. The friend that's still here will only agree with what I saw. He won't speak of it himself, and never told his family. Also, a few years after this experience, I overheard someone that my friends and I didn't talk to. They were at a higher end of the social spectrum, and they were describing the same exact creature attacking their cows and carrying them off as if they were small game. Now, for the really creepy part... I google mapped the area so that I could find out if the barn was part of another property and where it actually was. Upon looking further though, it doesn't exist and didn't then either. 
Right behind that house is enough of a tree line to block the view, but there's a neighborhood right behind those trees that I had been to before that experience. To end, believe it or not, hallucination or not, this happened to us. It felt as real as death, and I only wish to see if anyone else has seen or felt anything like this. Thank you all for your time and consideration. This happened fairly recently. There is a conservation area that I used to like to walk in regularly. It's beside a golf course near an ordinary subdivision just off a busy road. It's popular with dog walkers and photographers. The conservation area is fairly well maintained and alerts its users that there are hidden cameras. My point in bringing up all of this is to say that by all accounts this is a very safe, vanilla, urban wooded area in a populated area. One thing about me is that I like isolation to recharge. I dislike crowded trails and, by convention, go in off-peak hours. Or when the weather is unpleasant. Not dangerous, just unpleasant. Too cold, lightly raining, foggy, etc. I stay safe, but I like there to be as few people around as possible. In a city, in daylight, I don't feel like I'm taking any risk doing this. The first encounter, well, there was one day I went around 4pm or so on a frigid, rainy Monday in November. On days like that, there are maybe only one or two dog walkers, but today, there was not a single car in the parking lot, except for a dirty blue pickup truck with a man sitting in it. I noticed that he was looking at me, but that didn't really bother me. I was just happy to see the trail was empty. On this particular day, I went to the area to practice my navigation skills. I was learning how to use a compass at the time and it's good to practice that skill in an area you won't get lost in. So I decided to go off trail to a big pine plantation, which is pretty big. It's big, open, and has a large area of mature pine trees. If you're not familiar, definitely Google it. It's not a hiking area, or really that interesting in any way, but it's definitely off trail. You wouldn't get there unless you really wanted to get there is what I'm saying. When I picked my first landmark in sight using my compass, and I'm pacing toward it, I find myself about halfway there when I hear rustling through the bushes. I turn around to see the man from the dirty blue pickup truck there, entering the pine plantation. This man is in his mid-fifties. He's a little pudgy, wearing a baggy, beige cardigan and blue slacks. I feel pretty alert at this point, but this feels out of place somehow. I take note of it, but pretend to keep walking around with my compass, because I don't want to seem weird. I look at him side-eyed. He pretends to ignore me. I am getting really bad gut feelings about this whole situation. For some reason at this point, I feel like he is following me, but I have had an anxiety disorder my whole life, so I try not to freak out for no reason. And of course, I don't want to ruin my relaxation time. Okay, so I'm calming down. No big deal. So, I pivot to see if he's following me, just 180 degrees and walk toward the trail again. He's there, following me not too far behind. I walk through the bushes, onto the trail, and he's still following me. At this point I was freaked out. The pine plantation entrance is only about 50 feet on the trail. So, this guy would have to walk 50 feet, enter the pine plantation, then decide that that was it for the day? Bad odds. Definitely is following me. 
I quickly exit the trail, and when I'm leaving the parking lot, I see that he's still staring at me. I take the long way home. The experience freaks me out, and I only visit the area once before the second encounter. The second encounter was sometime in January. This time, I went to go bird watching. A week prior, I had seen an owl in the same pine plantation. I was practicing navigation again, and I wanted to see it. I had seen it about an hour before sundown, so I figured that there was definitely a chance that I could still see it, and it was a good time to go into the area. I checked the parking lot, and there was no blue pickup truck, but there were two other cars with men. One was a red sedan with heavily tinted windows, and it looked like the other one was empty. So I go on the trail again. Today is muddy, wet, and cold. The area should be totally empty. Good. Unfortunately, it wasn't. So about 20 feet on the trail, I hear footsteps behind me. But of course, it's not a crime, and I'll lose them soon when I go to the pine plantation. I'm sure you know where this is going. When I walk on the pine plantation, there is that same rustling of the bushes from before. And when I turn around, I see the same man. I feel a wave of terror and dread overcome me. Alone in a muddy forest with a possible stalker. But it's still so calm, and it feels so mundane. To confirm my fears, I walk over to the area where I saw the owl last week and pause to look for it. Who do I see run next to me at the same time? It's the freaking guy from before. I am terrified at this point, and every part of me is screaming to run, so I walk as fast as I can to the trail again. I pass some other random guy in the same pine plantation and smile at him, and just totally on autopilot, he smiles back. It wasn't until I was in the parking lot that I get freaked out because there was a second person in the same pine plantation. Could they have been connected somehow? I stop briefly in the parking lot and take out a small notepad to quickly write down the license plate of the two cars. This gives the original man time to catch up to me in the parking lot. I am booking it out on foot out of the parking lot and he yells towards me, Can I give you a ride? And I just shake my head and keep walking. As I walk away, he begins to follow me in his car. He waits at the intersection to see which direction I'm going in, and I decide to walk in a busy park to lose him. He pulls into a nearby hidden driveway and stares at me, and takes out his phone and presumably takes a picture of me. He notes what direction I'm walking in, and does a U-turn and drives the other way. I of course took the long way home, filled out a police report, and the police opened up an investigation. I have not gone back to that conservation area since, and also I've lost my solidarity and love for the woods. This experience has definitely left me with an ongoing nervousness about being alone doubly more because I do not know who the second guy is. I walked by him so quickly I didn't really get much more than that he was mid-fifties, had glasses, and was bald. The police unfortunately told me there's nothing they can really do at this point, so the best I can do is stay vigilant and try to not let it freak me out so much. Unfortunately, this has totally ruined my love for going out into the wilderness alone. After watching so many YouTubers who live in their cars and travel around the country, I always wanted to try the car camping thing. I lived in Fort Lauderdale for five years and thought I would be stuck there, and that was it. Then the pandemic hit, and I checked my bank account. I was back paid thousands of dollars, 
and before I knew it, I was packing up all of my stuff, and the landlord said I could leave all of my furniture, which was fine. Now, I'm on 95, heading north, laughing and going, and I couldn't believe it. My managers got the hang of the whole car thing and became more comfortable stealth parking in different places without being detected. I had not done any off-the-grid stuff, but was more comfortable by reaching Lake Tahoe. I was hiking and asked some guy and his dog, who was a local, if he knew where I could sleep in my car because Tahoe seemed a bit tricky. He said there was a place in the mountain called Hope Valley. It sounded good, so off I went. Lake Tahoe is already high in altitude, so this was a few thousand feet higher than that. It was this past July. As I reached the area, I saw a small parking lot that was an entrance to a wildlife nature preserve. It was closed and empty, so that would do. I'm all settled in with my blanket. The sun is setting and the temperature plummets. It's pitch black. Before I knew it, visibility is at absolute zero. I start to hear wolves howling in the distance, and at this point, I'm game. This was the experience I wanted, camping in my car in the absolute wilderness. It was a little bit creepy. Ultimately though, I was okay. I was living what I saw on YouTube in my apartment. I was living the dream, right? Before the sun went down, I noticed garbage cans that were overfilled 15 feet from the car at the entrance to the preserve. I finally drifted off to sleep and was awakened by something at 3am. I couldn't see anything, anywhere. It was so dark. And then I heard footsteps, heavy ones, right outside my door. At this point I'm dropping bricks in my pants, being a New York City boy. Then something brushes up against the car. I'm scared and don't know what to do. I wait for a couple of minutes. Then I open the door. I ran around the car as fast as possible and got to the driver's side. I drove down the mountain and slept in a Motel 7 parking lot like a baby. I never made it through my first and only off-grid camping adventure and won't forget it. The only other time that trip that something creepy happened was on Mount Shasta. I drove halfway up the mountain, parked on the side of the road, and started walking on this trail. I made it about 70 yards in and heard a low growl. I had never run so hard back to my car in my life. The rest of the trip was the best hiking I've ever done in Montana. The forests know many secrets. This is why I don't go camping anymore. I know that probably sounds, well, a bit off kilter, but if you allow me to explain myself, I think you'll understand what I mean. I went on my very last camping trip way back in the early 2000s. It was supposed to be with a group of friends, but everyone else had to drop out at the last minute, leaving me the choice of either scrapping the trip entirely or going solo. Personally, I'd never liked camping alone very much. There's too many things that can go wrong when you're out in the woods by yourself. A simple accident like twisting your ankle can really complicate things. Upgrade that twisted ankle to a broken leg, throw in some bad weather, and suddenly, you're in a life-or-death situation. A lot of experienced campers have gone into the woods by themselves and never came back. It happens all the time. Even so, my gear was packed and I was already in camping mode. So I said, F it, and decided to go by myself. 
I'd just hang out with my comfortable radio by my side, have a few drinks beside the fire, and call it an early night. I thought it might actually be nice to disconnect and spend some time alone with my thoughts. The woods seemed like a magical wonderland in those scant few weeks between the turning of leaves and the first snowfall. The days are warm, and a sleepy hush falls over the forest by late afternoon. The treetops rustle and sway in the sunset breeze as you make your evening fire, and as the temperature drops in the thickening gloom, you hunker down by your fire and bask in its warmth. From this point until you crawl into your little tent beneath a vast panorama of stars, you make a point of not doing anything in particular. You just sit there with a hot dog roasting away on a stick, and you simply exist. And as you sit there and watch the firelight stir up fluttering shadows amongst the trees, something in the back of your brain whispers, this is how it's supposed to be, just you and an open fire beneath the stars. I loaded up my gear and left before dawn on Saturday morning. I usually entered the park through the west gate, but on this fateful day, it happened to be closed off for repairs. So I did an awkward three-point turn and trundled around the gate on the north side instead. I usually avoided that side of the park because the entrance lane and parking lot were both in pretty rough shape. But leaving your ride on the side of the road was a great way to lose your wheels, catalytic converter, and maybe even your entire vehicle. I navigated around the gaping potholes in the pre-dawn gloom and was strapping on my backpack just as the early morning sunlight began to filter through the trees. There were hardly any other vehicles in the parking lot, just a scattering of jacked up pickup trucks and one lone cargo van. The van was old, it was like a relic from the 90s. It had a dented front bumper and large patches of rust surrounding the wheel wells. As I walked past, I saw a vinyl sticker of a strange looking cross on the rear door. The other door had some sort of airbrushed, stylized tree of life, with the branches tangling together above the surface and the roots intertwining below. I could only assume it belonged to one of those pseudo-mystical hippie types who like to engage in drum circles out in the wilderness. Which is fine, of course, as long as they're not within earshot of your own campsite. I muttered, keep your bongos to yourself, and started off down the trail. I hiked for about half an hour until I found the perfect spot, a cozy clearing on the embankment of a small stream. I set my tent up and made myself some coffee over a fire. The woods were alive with the chirping of birds and clattering of squirrels, and the sunlight danced on the rippling waters of the stream in flashes and glimmers. I sipped my coffee and thought to myself, this is real life. Everything else is a lie. I spent the morning ambling around the trails on the north side of the park and headed back to the camp shortly before noon. I had just settled down to heat up a pot of beans when I suddenly became aware that I was being watched. I couldn't see anyone standing in the trees but I could feel their eyes on me. I called out, Hello? And a few seconds later, a figure stepped into the clearing. It was a man with a long beard and a thick mass of tangled dreadlocks. As he stepped into the clearing, his body odor hit me like a ton of bricks. He was wearing a pair of old work boots and ragged, filthy blue jeans that were more patches than actual denim. My unexpected visitor was bare-chested in the warmth of the noon-hour sun. His skin 
burnished to a deep bronze beneath a layer of grime. He was muscular in a lean, wiry sort of way, and he was absolutely covered with dozens of stick-and-poke tattoos. They blanketed his torso, arms, hands, and neck in a crude layer of faded India ink. A lot of them looked like jail tattoos. I immediately remembered the cargo van and thought, you're a lot more sinister looking than I'd imagined. The man stood at the opposite side of my fire with his thumbs hooked in his belt loops and said, How you doing today, brother? It's a fine day, isn't it? The gods sure did bless us today. I smiled and nodded in agreement, but I already knew something was very wrong with this guy. His eyes were strange. They were too bright, too wide, and he was staring at me with an unnerving intensity. I slowly reached down beside my chair to see if my knife was still laying on the ground beside me, and I said, Well, I'm not religious, but I can't disagree with you on the weather. It's a beautiful day out here. As soon as the words came out of my mouth, I knew I had made a mistake. The guy stopped smiling and cocked his head to the side, as if he were listening to a voice only he could hear. He nodded, in agreement with whatever it was saying, and exclaimed, You're not religious, you say? How could you deny something that's right in front of your face? The gods are right here, brother. The leaves, the dirt, the sky, the clouds, it's all divine. Can't you dig it? Everything is divine. Carefully, I said. I guess I didn't think of it that way, mister. Um, I didn't catch your name. He looked at me with an exaggerated air of confusion and echoed. Catch your name? It ain't yours to catch, is it? We stared at each other for a long, tense moment, and then he started to smile again. He was missing a front tooth, but the rest of his teeth were surprisingly white in the mellow sunshine. He shook his head and asked me, Now, are we talking about my true name? You can't know my true name. It's sacred. Only the trees can know these secrets. I wasn't sure how to respond to this, so I nodded like he was actually making any sense at all, and I asked, Um, is there something I can help you with, or... I trailed off and waited for an answer, but he just stood there and looked at me. It was creepy as hell. Finally, he just said, My people... My people call me John. Like, John the Baptist. And he snapped his fingers. Almost like magic, six more people quietly slipped out from behind the trees. They were an even mix of men and women. All of them dressed in ragged clothes and reeking like old campfire smoke and body odor. John's people drifted into the clearing like ghosts and stood behind him in a single file line. They were all heavily tattooed in the same manner as John, covered in crudely drawn symbols that had faded from the years of exposure to the sun. Their long matted hair was either tied back or piled on top of their heads in some sort of elaborate knot. The look in their eyes was extremely unsettling. It was like looking into the eyes of a wild animal with the scent of easy prey in its nostrils. These people were wild. They were radiating an aura of pent-up violence. Quietly, the dreadlocked madman said, John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. They would have thought he was plumb crazy in this day and age, and they'd be right. John the Baptist looked upon the faces of the gods and lived. That's enough to drive anyone crazy, I reckon. One of his followers crooned, Preach it, Brother John, preach it! And the rest of them murmured, Amen, brother. John nodded along with them and asked me, Do you know why there are seven of us? Because seven is the number of completeness and perfection, he murmured. 
Seven faithful souls under the eyes of the holy. That's us. John hunkered down beside my fire and glared up at me with that wide-eyed, unnerving intensity. He said, When a man's belly is empty, he can eat and be at peace. But what if his soul is empty? How do you give comfort to an empty soul? You don't know the answer to that, do you? Tell him, Joshua. A gaunt fellow with a star tattooed on his forehead cleared his throat and recited in a dull monotone, Offer praise to the gods and they'll fill your soul with knowledge. They'll come down in a beam of sunlight and show you the way. That's enough, little brother, John murmured. I'll do the preaching here. I saw a flicker of simmering resentment cross the gaunt man's narrow features. There, and gone in a split second. John didn't seem to notice. He made a broad, sweeping motion with his arm at the trees and the sky and sighed. Knowledge of the divine, my man. Knowledge of the world and knowledge of yourself. Do you know yourself, brother, or are you an empty vessel? I instinctively knew that it would be a grave mistake to show any sort of fear. I stood up and firmly announced, I think it's time you folks went on your way. I'm not really looking for any sort of company. John narrowed his eyes and rose to his feet. There was a shift in his posture that reminded me of a jungle cat tensing to strike. He said, Well, now, that's not how any of this works. See, we go wherever the gods will us to go. They brought us here for a reason. There's always a reason. There ain't nothing random about happening anywhere in any entire universe. So this little meeting of ours was arranged before the stars ignited in the sky, brother. I snapped. I honestly don't give a shit, brother. I'm not looking for company. John leaned in a bit closer and whispered, What you hiding there, man? What you in your hand? Is that a knife? My heart was racing, but it was way too late to back down. I held his gaze and repeated, I'm not looking for company. John stepped back and reached around and pulled the revolver from the back of his waistband. He put his thumb on the hammer, and my breath caught in my throat. He said, That's too bad, because you ain't got a choice. There is no free will. There is only the will of the gods. I forced myself to keep looking him in the eye. For a long, tense moment, the world shrank until it was only me, the madman with a firearm, and the gun itself. The tension was abruptly shattered by the sound of children laughing. A young couple and their kids came pushing through the underbrush on their way to the stream, completely oblivious to the standoff that was occurring just a few yards away. John's eyes shifted from me to the family, and he tucked the gun back into his waistband. He smiled and quietly said, The forest is ancient. And the trees know all of our secrets, brother. You, me, and everybody else. They know our secrets. Remember that. My wild-eyed visitors melted back into the woods as quickly as they had appeared. I stared into the trees for a while, the laughter of the children drifting through the air behind me as I tried to wrap my head around what had just happened. I felt jittery from an overload of fear and adrenaline. The encounter seemed dreamlike and unreal, as if I had fallen asleep in my folding chair and slipped into a particularly vivid nightmare. I abruptly decided it was time to head home. To hell with it, I could roast hot dogs over a smoky fire some other time. The camping expedition was officially over. I tore down my tent and packed my stuff in record time. 
I had every intention to warn the young couple to be on the lookout for seven weirdos with some very eccentric opinions on religion, but they were already gone by the time I was ready to leave. I wished them luck and double-timed it back to the parking lot. All of the vehicles were gone except for mine, including the van that I could only presume had belonged to the weirdos with the dreadlocks and tattoos. The Manson family reboot had apparently piled into their murder mobile and left to see greener pastures somewhere else. That was fine and dandy, but I was still leaving. I just had a gun pulled on me by a crazy man and my enthusiasm for sleeping in a tent was at an all-time low. I walked up to my car and started to fish for my keys and snarled. Oh, shit. All four tires were flat as a pancake. Someone had sliced open the valve stem to every tire. I had only two options at this point and both of them sucked pretty bad. I needed to call a tow truck, but this was back in the days before everyone had a cell phone. It was a weekend in the off-season which meant there weren't any park employees around and everything was locked up. I could either hike through the park and hope to run into a hiker that could help me out, or I could start walking down the road and try to flag someone down. As far as I knew, I might be the only living soul in the entire park so it seemed more likely I could find more help walking along the road. Worst case scenario, I would walk almost 20 miles until I got to the closest payphone, which was located at a gas station that may or may not still be open when I got there. I had a pretty good idea who had flattened my tires. I could only assume they watched me park my car and gather up my gear. It occurred to me that John and the gang probably had followed me around while I was hiking the trails which was deeply unsettling to think about. Why would they do that? What did they want? I decided to try my luck on the road and lock most of my gear in the trunk. I put a jacket on, got some refreshments in my backpack, and started walking. I didn't see a single car for 20 minutes, and then I was ignored by multiple passing cars. I was starting to suspect I was destined for a very long walk to that gas station. I trudged down the road for another 10 minutes or so before another vehicle came along. I waved my arms frantically as it approached. As it got closer, I realized that it looked awfully familiar. It was the van from the parking lot. The van picked up speed and drifted onto the gravel shoulder, spraying a shower of stones as I jumped into the ditch. The van missed me by inches and the driver locked up the brakes coming to a fishtailing halt as I crashed through the ravine into the tree line and ran into the woods. I had already passed the southernmost edge of the park, so I was running through some random farmer's woodlot, forcing myself through patches of brambles and tangled undergrowth that you'll find in a second growth forest. I could hear them hooting and hollering from somewhere behind me, laughing and carrying on like they were kids on an easter egg hunt. They were apparently much better at running through the woods than I was, because it sounded like they were very quickly closing in on the gap between us. I slid down an embankment, hopped over a small stream, and hid behind a clump of horsetail on the other side. Ten seconds later, the guy with the star tattoo and a feral-looking woman with a streak of white hair came jumping down the embankment. They were quickly joined with the rest of the crew. John motioned at the slope of the embankment, pointing out my footprints in the wet soil. He called out. Why are you hiding? No hide from us, brother. We want to help you. They spread out and started searching for me. I held my breath and listened for their footsteps. One of them came very, very close, but he didn't see me curled up in a tight ball in the horse tail. 
After a few minutes of stalking around in the mud, John called them over. I heard him say, The God spoke to me in a dream, brothers and sisters. This is the test of faith. Do you have faith? They all said yes in unison, and John answered, Then we'll find him, won't we? Because those who have faith will always be triumphant in the end. Do you believe that, brothers and sisters? Can I get an amen? I heard a ragged chorus of amen followed by something quiet, some sort of muttering, and then they moved on. It was chilling just to see how quietly they could move through the undergrowth. They were like a pack of wolves, silently melting into the trees without so much as breaking a dead branch or crackling the dead leaves underfoot. I counted to a hundred and slithered out of my hiding spot. I was muddy, cold, and utterly terrified. There was no longer any doubt they had been stalking me since I got to the park, and maybe even before then. But I still didn't know why. What did they want from me? I whispered to myself, the trees know our secrets. And even though it was nonsense, it still scared the hell out of me. I made my way back to the road and popped out not far from where the van was parked on the side of the road. I cautiously crept along the bottom of the ditch and listened for voices, but there was no sign of life in the van. When I was satisfied no one was there, I snuck up close enough to get a good look at the license plate. I'd need every bit of information I could gather for the police report. As I turned to leave, something caught my eye. There was a red smear on one of the windows. It was a bloody handprint. I sucked in a deep breath and whispered, Oh, God. The panel doors at the back of the van were not locked. I pulled them open, took a good look at what was laying inside, and slammed them shut again. I felt the urge to vomit. It washed over me in a wave of nausea, and I struggled to hold it back. My brain was fuzzy from shock. I could smell the tart, coppery scent of blood in my sinuses. I could almost taste it on my tongue. It was the young family, all of them piled in a heap in the back of the van. Two kids, mom and dad, all of them dead from what appeared to be multiple stab wounds. They were covered in a drying gore and were almost unrecognizable, and I was pretty sure it was them. I briskly whirled around and ran like hell, and there they were standing behind me in a semicircle to block my escape. I didn't even hear them coming. John pulled out his gun and said, I didn't know that was going to happen, but it did. The gods have designs for us all, brother, but they don't always uh, let you in on their plans. Not even me, and I'm the prophet. I started to beg for my life, and one of them hit me in the head with the handle of a hunting knife. I fell to my knees and blood started trickling down the side of my face. They gagged me with a strip of my own t-shirt and dragged me into the woods. Two of them holding me up and walking me along as John followed with his gun in my back. They took me back to the stream and tied my arms to a tree with a drawstring from my backpack. John pointed at me and said, This is the lamb right here. He was promised to me in a dream. The forest knows our secrets, brothers and sisters. We can spill his blood and wash away our sins. There was another chorus of all men from his followers, and I felt a thin line of cold fire run down my cheek as John traced my John line with the tip of a knife. He tapped the side of my neck and said, This is the river of life right here. Spill blood in the soil and you'll nourish the roots. Life flows upward into the branches and it returns to the soil when the leaves fall down. Life and death, it's a continuous cycle. Can I get a witness? 
his followers shouted testify in unison. The two who remained silent were Star Tattoo and the feral-looking woman. John pinned my head against the tree with one hand as he cut a shallow line across my neck with the other. I tried to kick him and got a solid punch in. He slowed the blade of the knife and the others grinned up at the sky. We give this humble gift in return for your favor, he said, and I realized in horror that he was talking to the tree. These people weren't just pretending to believe in order to justify their sick little games, they were the real deal, a tribe of zealots who were completely lost in their delusions. I went absolutely apeshit with panic and lashed out with my foot again. This time I managed to kick him in the crotch, and John collapsed with a strangled cry of agony. He groaned, You shouldn't have done that, and tried to rise to his feet. I tried to kick him in the face as he pushed himself off the ground and I missed. He lurched to his feet and gave me a whopper of a backhand across the face. I saw stars and my knees buckled. John glared at me and barked. You have no right to strike a holy man. Demon, you're an empty vessel. I spat blood on the ground and looked over at Star Tattoo. I croaked. Why is this guy the boss? Why isn't it you? There was a brief silence as my words hung in the air between us. John scoffed at me and said, I was chosen, that's why. I'm the prophet. Shut your mouth, deceiver, and I'll cut your tongue out. I ignored him and repeated my question to Star Tattoo. Why not you? Do the gods only talk to this asshole here? Think about it, man. Where are you following him? Why not lead? John screamed, Be quiet, deceiver! Hissing at me. Before he could plunge it into my chest, Star Tattoo grabbed his wrist and threw him to the ground. The others let out a collective gasp and John looked at him in disbelief. What are you doing, boy? Until you lay your hands on me. The Prophet. Star Tattoo pulled out a long knife from his sheath in his belt and threw it with deadly accuracy. It thunked into John's bare torso with a thickening smack. John looked at the handle that was growing out of his chest in complete bewilderment. He touched it, cried out in pain, and then he pulled out his gun. Star Tattoo kicked it out of his hand and knelt down beside him. You taught me well, brother, but we don't need you anymore, he said. The gods speak to me in my dreams just like you, and they told me that you're finished. John took in a bubbling breath and hissed. Seven is the perfect number. Now you're only six. That's the number of the beast. His former acolyte shook his head and pointed at the feral woman with a streak of white in her hair. He finally said, My seed took root in her womb. We'll be seven again soon enough. If I let you live, we'd be eight. And eight is the number of the resurrection. The world isn't ready for that. Not yet. John tried to speak and coughed up a giant glut of frothy-looking blood. He collapsed onto his back and panted up at the sky, his eyes turning glassy with the shock and physical trauma. Star Tattoo kicked dead leaves over his face and turned away in disdain. He said, A false prophet and a weak man. He was wrong. You're not the lamb. It was him all along. He advanced on me with his knife, his face expressionless, and I closed my eyes. I was sure I was about to die but he cut me free instead. He looked at me in the eye and said, Go with grace, brother. Without another word, he walked away into the woods, and the others followed. 
I waited until I was sure they were gone alone with the dead body of a madman lying on the ground in front of me. He tried to speak to me before he died, but I'm not sure what he was trying to say. There was too much blood pouring from his mouth and too little oxygen in his punctured lung for the words to be audible. For a while, it was just me, a dead body, and the force that surrounded me in all directions. I know it was just a work of my overstressed and traumatized brain, but I swear the creaking of the tree limbs and the breeze sounded like the whisper of the wind. It sounded like it was sharing dark secrets. I could almost understand their words, but not quite. I think if I had understood their arcane dialect, I probably would have been driven insane. Just like John the Baptist, who supposedly saw the face of God and withdrew from society to live like an animal in the wilderness. He was given a brief look at the other side and it drove him over the edge. Honestly, I can't blame him. I think just about anyone would lose their mind if they saw what lies beyond our reality. The other members of this cult are still at large. Even if they were captured and prosecuted, I still wouldn't go on another camping trip. Every time I venture anywhere near a wooded area, I remember the whispers in the wind and my heart starts pounding in my chest. I know it wasn't real, but I got a very strong and visceral reaction regardless. My brain might know that the trees weren't alive, or at least not in that sense, but my heart has a different opinion on the matter. Go ahead and camp in the woods with your heart's content, but it's a hard no for me. I'll stay right here at home with the lights on and the doors locked. It's safer that way. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true Deep Woods Horror Stories that'll freak you out tonight. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us, hit that subscribe button, and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload them nearly every single day on all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or on reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you're on the go, but don't have YouTube Premium, and still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and pretty much anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you could do me a massive favor and give me a 5 star on Apple Podcast and or Spotify, that would be very appreciated as it helps me on those platforms a lot. Thank you guys as always for supporting the Swamp the way you do. I couldn't do this on a daily basis without you guys. I'll see you all very soon with another creepy episode. Happy holidays, have a good new year, and I'll see you soon.